we have been waiting for you. They do not want you to be here. But where others fail, you will succeed. Forget the cell. In this space, time is endless. You are now experiencing the fourth dimension. ahead your mind will transcend reality your consciousness will be sharpened like a sword you will lose all connection to the outside world and nothing will ever be the same again Welcome to the Daily Boogie. All right, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are, man, woman, fish, or other, settle in, grab a drink, make yourself a snack. We're going to be here a while. Plenty to go through. Too much. Too much to go through. Settle in. Cancel your appointments. You're going to want to be here. All right, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another, the final Thursday night edition, at least for a little while, of the Common Discourse podcast. I am Boogie Bumpy, your host for the next, probably going to be a few hours. <laughs> Let's be honest, I've got that much fucking shit to get through. But thank you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing the show out. It's an absolute pleasure to see you there in the chat once again for, like I said, the last Thursday night edition for the foreseeable future of the Daily Boogie podcast. Hope you had a lovely day. I certainly have. And as I stated, so much to get through. If you missed the show yesterday, uh, I explained we're winding this little operation back. From now on, it's going to be Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And Thursday is going to be dedicated to making short YouTube clips that people have requested, uh, writing some articles for the new website, thecommondiscourse.com, which will be launching imminently. And we're very excited about that. And I love writing and I haven't been able to do it for the last couple of years because it just takes so damn long. And I'm already doing seven shows a week. So something's got to give. And I appreciate your understanding in that. But thank you so much for joining us. And I'm looking forward to this because we're going to leave it all out on the field. <laughs> I'm not going to leave anything in the tank. Thank you, Platinum Mimi. I'm not going to leave anything. It is the last game of the season. We're going to let it all hang out. 
and go right to the line as hard as humanly possible. And we're going to have lots of fun along the way as well. So thank you for joining us. Quick reminder, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to berate me about being a grifter or lazy or not doing four shows a week, then by all means, you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. So much to get through. And as well as uh, your contributions that you sent through on the Twitter. The Twitter. Uh, We'll get to those as well. Also, if you want to call into the show... Um, I'll go to the calls a little bit later in the show because I want to get through some of this material that I have already waiting. So uh, a little bit later in the show, I'll go to calls. And so if you want to get on the show, head over to the Discord channel when I, I'll take a break and I'll put a screen up and then you'll know that's the time to jump in the waiting room. So head over to the Discord, jump in the waiting room when you see that screen and we'll get you on the show for a little chat if you like about anything you want to talk about, anything we talk about on the show or anything that's on your mind. Please do. I just came here to hear you laugh. (laughs) Don't worry, it won't be long. When you see the first thing I've got lined up for you, we'll all be laughing together. And isn't that more fun anyway? Just before I get to the serious stuff, can I wax lyrical about this whole Iran situation for a minute? And just before people in the chat go, well, what difference does it make to you? What's it got to do with you? It wasn't there. It wasn't your ship they blew up. It wasn't your country they want to attack. Au contraire, comrade. Unfortunately, the Australians do have some skin in the game when it comes to America getting involved in conflicts in other nations because wherever you go to war, we go too. Did you know that uh, the Australian Special Forces were on the ground in Afghanistan back in the early 2000s before your guys even left the the airport hangar? Were you aware of that? So indeed, Australia does have some kind of interest here because as allies, as strong allies, where you go, we must follow. And in the case of Afghanistan and other places, where you go, we must go in first and clear the ground a little bit so you don't kill yourselves when you land. (laughs) But the Iran stuff. Here's the thing. And I know I'm going to be going against uh, a couple of my friends here who are also broadcasters, but that's fine. That's fine. That's what makes this so damn fun. How many? It's it's all good. It's all good to uh, pontificate and wax lyrical and go on about, you know, the beatniks and the peaceniks and the anti-war mob, right? But how many of those beatniks and peaceniks and anti-war mob who you may characterize as people who engage in you know, smashed avocado on toast in cafes in the inner cities of New Jersey and New York and Los Angeles and the trendy leafy suburbs around those cities. How many of those are you characterizing as lifelong Democrats and how many of those are you characterizing as strong Donald Trump supporters? Because, I mean, we don't live in a fishbowl. We aren't goldfish here. So we remember back in 2016 during the presidential election campaign, one of the strongest things that Donald Trump ran on was bring the boys home, no more foreign wars. Specifically because a number of American voters were sick to death of seeing piles of body bags of American sons and daughters 
coming back in the opposite direction. They were asking themselves and their governments quite rightly, why are we sending our young to go and die in these shitholes on the other side of the world? Why are we doing that? And a lot of these people voted for Donald Trump for that very reason. Hillary Clinton herself is not a, you know, bleeding heart anti-war lefty. She's more like a neocon or a term that was used previously, a liberal hawk. Loves big government and loves big war. Loves making money off war. So a lot of people voted for Donald Trump as opposed to that. So, by all means, and if you want to say where does it, where did it all begin? Well, I guess it probably began when the CIA removed the Shah, which was then in control of Iran, and installed the current regime, the Mullahs, keeping to the Zbigniew Brzezinski playbook of the Grand Chessboard and the likes of Henry Kissinger, later backed up in, in later administrations by the neocons, and, you know, the bushes. The, the idea being that you need to remove, you need to install hardline fundamentalists in order to keep the region under control so you can extract resources to maintain American dominance in said region. That's what the Grand Chessboard is all about. It's a big name of Brzezinski. Look it up if you don't know. So that's why the Shah was removed by the CIA and the Mullahs who now now are the great enemy uh, were installed. So you could probably understand then why some people have some level of scepticism should there be another let's liberate Iran movement. Because <laughs> it didn't work out too well last time, did it? Just saying. Just saying. So I, you know, you don't have to listen to me and my opinion isn't worth two pounds of shit, but um, I would urge some degree of caution when flying headlong into another global conflict, into another conflict in the Middle East. I would just think um, you're not necessarily going to have uniform support. And there are going to be a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 who will not vote for him in 2020 if the idea, the spectre of another Afghanistan slash Iraq situation is on the table. Just putting that out there. But do what you wish. And I could be wrong. Maybe it is Maybe it is just the hippies and the peaceniks and the beatniks in the New York inner city suburbs at the cafes and whatnot, but I suspect I'm correct. Considering most of the American military is drawn from the Christians in the South and not the inner cities of New York and whatnot, then perhaps those families who send their sons and daughters to either die or come home disfigured or maimed or permanently emotionally scarred from wars, which people have been saying for the last two decades that America and other Western powers shouldn't be involved in in the first place. Maybe it's those Midwest and Southern Christian families who might be most opposed to some kind of military action in the sands of Iran. But I could be wrong. Who knows? Maybe they'll just vote for Donald Trump anyway. Maybe they'll say, yeah, fuck it. I've got two more kids. Let's send them over. Honey, we need to pump out some more kids. The conservatives want to go to war again. War again. Yes, you beauty. Yeah. Yeah. America. Huh. 
Fuck yeah. Maybe that's the way they look at it. I could be wrong. <laughs> but it's an interesting discussion. Kimmy says, I would bet you $100 that we don't go to war. I don't think, I don't think America will either. I don't think America will go to war. I don't think Donald Trump will green light another conflict in the Middle East because I don't think he's that stupid. I don't think he's that dumb. I think he knows if he green lights and gets involved in another conflict in the Middle East now at this time that he can kiss the next four years of his presidency. Goodbye. And fuck me, we've got conservatives now quoting Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi thinks it's a good idea to go to war. Oh, shit. I didn't know Nancy Pelosi was right all of a sudden. Bruv, wow. Pardon me. <laughs> We've only been spending the last five years criticizing and smashing Nancy Pelosi for every single thing that she says. But now, all of a sudden, because she wants to go to war, she's right. She gets it. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder why Nancy Pelosi thinks it's a good idea for Donald Trump to go to war in Iran. Hmm. Could it have anything to do with the election in 2020? I'm not sure. So, no, I don't think Donald Trump will go to war with Iran. They've been talking about going to war with Iran for the last 30 fucking years. What else has changed, really? <laughs> I could see James laughing in the chat. James knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> James, this is to be continued on Trust and Verify, my good comrade. <laughs> if you're not subscribed to Trust and Verify or following on Twitter at TAV Show, you better because James and I will be throwing knives at each other come Sunday night. I guarantee it. America! <laughs> Just another peaceneck hippie idiot, this boogie bumper. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Load up the guns, load up the missiles. Let's get the planes over Iran and drop some democracy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm ready for that one. I'm ready for that debate. Don't worry about that. But just wanted to share a couple of thoughts. Like I said, it's the last Thursday night we're doing this, so we're burning the house down. We're burning it all down, baby. All right. Let's get to it. Let's have a little more fun. It's Thursday night. Let's have some fun. Let's kick it off the way we like to with it. Now you face the shredder. It's time for the shredder, baby. Hey, what the bloody hell? It's not time for you, Chris. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. Chris, I want to take Chris what are you doing on the show, you mate? To listen to our Mac Files broadcast. What are you doing? Monday through Friday it's night not time for you yet. <laughs> right here on Periscope, YouTube, Chris. and Facebook Live. Get the hell off my screen, Mr. McDonald. What are you doing here? Make America great again. The nation, President Trump. We it's not time for you, Chris. We'll get to you in a couple of hours, mate. Yes, very good show. I know. Are very relevant to the this is a very good promo. Who made this promo for you, buddy? Who did this? Joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows. We'll get back to this commercial in a couple of hours, Mr. McDonald. There he goes. There he goes, Chris. <laughs> Stop it, Chris. <laughs> Trump's 2020 campaign strategy is familiar. Troll the libs. It might work on Biden. Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. All the way from when his granddaddy owned black, some of them Negroes down there in the deep south. 
When you could walk up to a strange woman in the cotton fields and sniff her, and nobody would say a god dang thing. Joseph Biden. Trolling is about the only tactic Trump and the Republicans have left. Unfortunately, Joe Biden is vulnerable. Late on Tuesday, I got an email from an unusual source. A reporter for the conservative publication, The Washington Examiner, asked if I'd be interested in sharing thoughts on Joe Biden's history of joking about locking up your daughters and on Biden's view of women and gender relations. This was in light of my previous criticisms of Biden's apparent condescension towards girls and women and his pockmarked history on gender relations in general. The request was polite and salacious. But I declined to comment anyway. I didn't want to comment. I didn't want to comment. It's highly unlikely that the examiner story was being driven out of a genuine concern for the well-being of girls and women, since the publication is largely supportive of Donald Trump, a misogynist in both his personal conduct and his policies. Do you see, if you write for the Washington Examiner, you're not allowed to be concerned for the welfare of girls and women because you're a misogynist too. (laughs) Do you see how easy this shit is? See, once upon a time, we used to have to actually seriously sit down and analyse somebody's thoughts, somebody's behaviours, and somebody's attitudes towards people of the opposite sex, children, minorities, and whatnot, in order to ascertain a somewhat accurate picture of this person's biases and this person's perceived uh, inequalities, right? But now we don't have to do that at all. Now, in 2019, we are so enlightened and so gifted that we can merely say, well, you work, you write for the Washington Examiner, therefore, you're a prick. You hate women. Oh, that was easy. I don't have to talk to this person. See how easy that was? We might as well fire all of the secretaries now. We, We have no need for them. We have no use for them. Instead, this is another sign that suggests that, as in 2016, the principal Republican strategy in 2020 will be trolling. Well, at least at least they've got enough common sense to figure this out. <clears throat> Trolling 2.0 for 2020 will have two components. First, stoke right-wing anger by claiming that liberals oppress patriotic Americans with political correctness. Second, use gotcha trolling to paint the Democratic nominee, whoever that is, and their supporters as hypocrites with the dual goal of feeding right-wing resentment and driving down Democratic voter turnout. See, this is where I must stray from the wisdom of the author of this Salon piece. Uh, We know that calling people on the opposite side hypocrites does not work. We know that. Uh, People continue to call people on the other side hypocrites, regardless of it working or not. (laughs) People have been calling people on the other side hypocrites since the time of Aristotle. People genuinely don't care. I mean, we saw it right there. We saw the, the, the audacity of this article to say that uh, the people that work for the Washington Examiner are just trying to call, uh, you know, Democrats hypocrites because they're trolling. But remember, this person was approached by the Washington Examiner to give a comment and didn't because they support Donald Trump and therefore must be misogynists themselves. So do you think that Joe Biden has a problem with his election? I'm not talking to you. You support Donald Trump, a misogynist. (laughs) They're doing the exact same thing. 
On the first front, Trump's campaign kickoff rally on Tuesday in Orlando illustrated neatly why the troll the Liberals strategy will be the main and pretty much only campaign strategy for Trump and his supporters going into the next election. What was evident from Trump's speech was that he doesn't have a single positive argument for himself. Not one. Not one. (laughs) Do you want to hear that line again? What was evident from Trump's speech was that he doesn't have a single positive argument for himself. But doesn't he constantly repeat the exact same lines about lowest ever unemployment, record number of women going into work, lowest black unemployment, Wall Street, jobs created, tax cuts, right? Doesn't he constantly talk about the positive things that he's done? So, I mean, if you if you, if you are still looking for more evidence to back up my theory that the truth is now irrelevant, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do I give you, uh, can I give you exhibit A? What was evident in Trump's speech was that he doesn't have a single positive argument for himself. When he spent probably 45 minutes laying out positive arguments for himself, it's like they didn't even watch the speech at all. But of course, they would just merely define Donald Trump's positives as negatives by use of some kind of micro-analyzed semantical difference. Sure, you can say that there's record black unemployment, but who says that's a positive? You're taking more parents out of the household. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, boom, you've got your spin. The supposed policy successes he laid claim to were pretty much all lies. More to the point, the audience was bored by the policy talk and turned it out. They only came alive when Trump focused on his real argument, vote for me to stick it to the Liberals. All the audience chants were focused on how much the crowd hated Liberals, journalists, immigrants, and other members of the lengthy right-wing enemies list. The crowd was most riled up when booing such people with their favourite chants were CNN sucks and lock her up. This over-the-top hatred of liberals on the right is no doubt why so many Democrats currently think that Biden, the centrist former vice president with a fondness for good old boy politics, is more, quote, electable on the grounds that he might not provoke the kind of loathing Trump supporters have for more progressive or female Democrats. Yes. Comrades, Democrat comrades, I'm here to tell you, if you think that Joe Biden is more electable because he's more likable for the kind of people who voted for Donald Trump, may I be the first to pop that bubble. (laughs) No. No, 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 no. Donald Trump, (laughs) Joe Biden is not popular with Donald Trump supporters at all. I don't know how I can how I can know this and you don't. Far removed from the opinions of regular, you know, working class Americans, I am here in my little island nation of Australia. Yet I can still identify the flaw with this logic. <laughs> but what those Democrats fail to understand is Biden is highly vulnerable to an even more toxic kind of right wing trolling. The kind that both stokes right wing hatred and demoralizes and demobilizes the left, accusations of hypocrisy. Yes. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a toxic kind of right-wing trolling is calling the Democrats hypocrites. It's just trolling, ladies and gentlemen. It's just trolling. They don't mean it. 
we're not really hypocrites. We're not really hypocrites. I mean, sure, we attack Donald Trump for his misogyny and say nothing about Joe Biden. But when the people on the other side call us hypocrites for doing so, that's only because they're trolling us. And as we know, trolling is toxic. And trolling is all lies. It's all of it. All of it is lies. Have no fear, my democratic comrades. Pay no attention to the trolls on the other sides of the aisle. You are not hypocrites, for you are the best people. You are the nicest people, the tolerant people. The most beautiful people on planet Earth. We love you and you love us and they hate us and we love them. Because we're peaceful, happy people. We only want what's best for everybody. Pay no attention to the indiscretions and the hypocrisies on our team because that is merely the creation of right-wing trolls trying to make you feel depressed. Stay positive, stay engaged, and keep voting blue. As I've argued before, Biden's gaff-prone behavior and his reactionary impulses on a wide range of issues make him uniquely vulnerable to gotcha trolling. That's where conservatives attack a Democratic politician sorta kinda from the left, accusing them of racism or sexism or anti-Semitism. Did you see that? <laughs> accusing, accusing a politician on the left of racism, that's just trolling. Talking about the alleged or perceived sexism of a politician from the sorta kinda left, that's just a right-wing troll campaign, ladies and gentlemen. And now we can just wipe our hands of it completely. We don't even have to address it anymore. It's a little bit like when somebody makes a comment on a Twitter thread, have you ever had this? And then a whole bunch of people just accuse you of being a Russian bot. No, you're just a Russian bot. I don't, I don't have to... Con I don't have to think about what you said or engage with you in any possible way whatsoever. You are merely a Russian bot, so I'm going to block you and move on now. Because they've been trained to do that. They have been trained and educated to merely dismiss any kind of pushback on places like Facebook or Twitter as bot activity. Because only a Russian bot would disagree with me. Only a Russian bot would accuse me of being wrong. Only a Russian bot would dare suggest that I am not 100% on the money with this particular tweet. So a Russian bot, you must be. So long, comrade. Back to Moscow you go. Same thing happens here. If you want to put out a meme or a tweet or a post or an article about some kind of racism or sexism or, dare I say it, anti-Semitism from some member of the Democratic Party... Now you're just going to be accused of trolling. The person defending their hero won't have to engage with your point at all. They won't have to say that you're wrong. They won't even care. They won't even bother. And if you call them a hypocrite, they'll laugh and say, you're just a troll. This is just trolling. I don't have to pay attention to this. So long, troll. Be gone with you. And that'll be the end of it. Not to be considered. Not to be thought of. The thought is to be as the thought is to be dismissed just as soon as it manifests in the mind. <sighs> just like that. <laughs> Bocker Bradley says, "Yeah, look what look at Beth Warren and she is cringe out of her skin when she drinks beer and cooks in the kitchen because she's so natural. She's so natural." 
That's why the Washington Examiner and other conservative publications are so keen on running stories about Biden being sexist or racially insensitive. For conservative audiences, such stories read as, how dare those Democrats tell me to be politically correct when they're just as bad. Another inelegant, inaccurate thought, comrades. But those stories will also reach liberal audiences, causing them to feel demoralized and less excited to vote. Oh, God. Does anything, does, is there anything on earth that doesn't cause some people to feel demoralized at this point? <laughs> we are the victims of right-wing trolling. Give money or volunteer for campaigns. It's a brilliant strategy, frankly, in that it simultaneously energizes right-wing resentment while stifling progressive hopes. There's every reason to think that Biden will be undermined by this strategy going into the November 2020 election. If Democrats are foolish enough to nominate him, he has been relatively cloistered from the press compared to the other candidates, yet can't seem to go a week without saying or doing something that feeds into this hypocrisy narrative. It's just a narrative. <clears throat> it's just a narrative. Nothing to see here. Just a narrative. Accusing Joe Biden of inappropriate behavior with girls and women. Just a narrative. It's just right-wing trolling. Just right-wing trolling. There's nothing to see here. Pay no attention to the right-wing trolls on Twitter, boys and girls. When they call you a hypocrite, merely call them a Russian bot and move the hell on. Ladies and gentlemen, that was... Now you face... The Shredder. Shred that shit up. I want to get to this one. Um, I noticed this on MSNBC today. I haven't watched it yet. I merely looked at the headline and I thought, well, let's watch it together, shall we? Quote, has the new practice of not apologizing become a new normal? Let's check it out. be the first real test of the new political rules established in the era of Donald Trump. Joe Biden showing shades of the unabashedness that rewrote the playbook during Trump's candidacy in 2016. Biden today refusing to back down in the face of controversy over his <clears throat> fond reflections on his relationships with segregationists in the Senate. And when his 2020 rival Cory Booker called on him to apologize, Biden lashed out. Apologize for what? <laughs> Corey should apologize. He knows better. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Good on him. Good on him. Why not double down at this point? I mean, it's a fine example to people, isn't it? Joe Biden had friends who were segregationists in the Senate in years gone by. Cory Booker says, you know, this is awful. He should apologize. Cory, he says, apologize for what? Cory should apologize. And Cory Booker jumps straight on the phone. I'm sorry, Mr. Biden. <laughs> what happened to all that outrage, Cory? I thought you were really outraged by this. Now, remember, if you were to accuse uh, Joe Biden of being a hypocrite at this point, right, in regards to race relations... Remember our first article here, you would now just be merely be engaged in right-wing trolling. And so your your accusations are to be instantaneously dismissed. Just so you know. Just so you know. He's like, I don't care. 
<laughs> There's not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career. Period. 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 <laughs> DK in the chat, who I think is a Democrat. Thanks for joining us, DK. I remember when racists were proud to be called racist. Now even the racists are politically correct. <laughs> Fantastic comment. You know, I just, you know, I, I'm a good old Southern boy. I've been voting. I've been voting Democrats in a long time. I'm in the KKK. My daddy was in the KKK and his daddy was in the KKK. And I tell you what, there's nothing I don't like more on this earth than those damn neat. I mean, African-Americans. <laughs> yes. The political arenas of the past, a flashpoint like this, might have seemed at least temporarily disastrous for a candidate under fire. But we're living in a new world where the man who was elected president of the United States makes unapologetic divisiveness part of his platform. To be clear, we are not comparing anything that Biden said no. or his record to anything that Donald Trump says or does. <laughs> Just to be, okay, don't panic, audience. Do not panic. We are not trying to compare Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Even though they're both going for the same job in a fucking election, the last thing we want to do, do not change the chat. Don't change the channel. Put the remote down. Quick, please, please, please. Hear me out. Hear me out. Please do not change the channel. Okay? We are not comparing two presidential hopefuls, two would-be presidents to each other. That would be wrong. We're not doing that. We are definitely not comparing Joe Biden to President Trump, okay? So just relax. Just calm down. Calm down. <laughs> the fear-mongering, the inflammatory invective that has come to define Donald Trump and his presidency. We're asking a question, though. That's now looming larger than ever over What's the Democratic that? field. Yes. Do voters in the era of Trump see a refusal to apologize as a sign of strength? And are the rules different for the Democratic frontrunner than they are for the man who was elected president in the last election? Here Here's an idea. What about this? Why don't we consider this? Instead of asking, do they see... Well, I, first, I, I tend to agree with her. I tend to think they probably do see it as a sign of strength. But Why? That's the more important question. Why would voters see it as a sign of strength to not apologize to, you know, confected corporate media-driven outrage? Why would they see it that way? You know, Joe Biden, for his shortcomings, and this would apply to Donald Trump as well, for all of their shortcomings, I don't think either of them are stupid men. So what is in it for them to apologize does apologizing, does apologizing take any of the perceived hurt away from the person who claims to have been hurt in the first place? Does it make them feel better? Because we've often seen, haven't we, that an apology is demanded and then an apology is given and that is seen as a sign of weakness as the people who demand the apology in the first place. All right? Well, we got them to apologize for this. Let's just keep hammering them. I mean, uh, you know, you'll be if you apologise, you'll be accused. Well, that apology wasn't good enough, and we want to take your job away anyway, right? I don't care for his apology; he's still a Nazi. So, what's the difference? You may as well not apologise and just carry on. Then, at least, you have an opportunity to win support from 
you know, the people who see that as a sign of strength. And I think Joe Biden understands that as well. I think that's what would explain his refusal to apologize. No, why the hell should I apologize? Because what he's going to run on is somebody who has the guts to stand up to Donald Trump, right? Now, you can't get you can't get elected on a platform of standing up to Donald Trump if you walk with your tail between your legs and your head, you know, hanging low and say, "I'm sorry for the things I I'm so sorry." I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> how the hell how the hell are you going to run on that? When you're confronted with the big bully, the big evil bully who doesn't apologize and doubles down and he insults everybody. Your own supporters at that point are going to turn around and say, "Well, what the hell are we voting for Joe for if he can't even if he can't even stand up to Cory Booker? How the hell is he going to stand up to Donald Trump?" And then poof, your campaign's over. So if you strip the emotion out of it, if you actually take a step back, you'll see the reality that Joe Biden can't apologize. He can't. Now, you can either view things on a shallow level and you might really dislike Donald Trump. You might really hate Donald Trump and that's fine and you think he should apologize. But there's always a meta game that happens here. And apologies are seldom about making a person feel better and more often about power projecting to the world that I have the power to make you denounce your own speech. I have you on a leash. You will not say things that I don't approve of. And thus, the better game is, the person who's doing the demanding of the apology looks like the strong one. And the person who gives the apology looks like the weak one. Whether we like it or not, that's the effect it has in the subconscious of the voting public. And once you understand that, then you understand that a cagey, crafty, long-time politician like Joe Biden, who also understands that reality, has no other option but to double down. He cannot apologise, especially if he wants to run up against a guy like Donald Trump. It's very simple stuff if you think about it. Five examples of Trump in moments of great political turmoil refusing to back down. I think it's always okay when somebody says something about you that's false. I think it's always okay to counterpunch or to fight back. Hillary Clinton and her campaign of 2008 started the birther controversy. I finished it. I finished it. <laughs> Pocahontas, I apologize to you. I apologize. To you, I apologize. <laughs> To the, to the fake Pocahontas, I won't. You have people on both sides of that. They admitted their guilt. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both. See, this is the thing. They're trying to make, they're, they're trying to turn this into a hit piece. These people don't realize that they're actually making him look good. They do this a lot in the corporate press. They have this wonderful idea to make Donald Trump look bad and it actually makes him look good. They do this constantly. And again, individual opinions aside, by and large, people would laugh. And people do have an attitude of, nah, fuck them, to hell with them. Especially now. 
if if you've been you know beaten and forced to apologize for all sorts of things over a long period of time pushing 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 just just as a general observation everybody has a breaking point everybody has a breaking point and eventually the person that you're pushing 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 is going to snap back and say to hell with you i don't care what you say anymore and that's why all of the the wall of outrage and accusations about this man have failed to make an impact because we finally got to the point where a whole bunch of people said i don't care anymore i don't care what he, he had sex with a porn star so what don't care he says horrible things about people so what don't care couldn't care less like see uh dk in the chat now all the pedophiles hang together trump and his friends now trump's a pedophile and people in the chat are saying to him don't care (laughs) it's pointless now don't care it's over those days are done and you know it happens it happens if you keep doing the exact same thing long enough eventually people will snap back and then look you straight in the eye and just dismiss don't care so you've got to come up with better ways to engage people tedley you put out a chat uh, a tweet the other day and he's he, he put up a little video of apparently some racists marching with, along with the line why do so many racists support donald trump and i i didn't reply or anything but i thought to myself ted why do so many white um, middle-class and blue-collar voters no longer vote for the Democrats? Shouldn't shouldn't that be your focus here? Isn't that what you should be thinking about? Never mind why does Donald Trump, why is Donald Trump support? See, the whole, the whole way that they approach Donald Trump is fundamentally flawed. They're attempting to shame good people. And it doesn't work anymore because people don't care. Right? So we establish that as a fundamental axiom of what we're dealing with here. So instead of posting little videos and saying, why do so many racists support Donald Trump, which will get nothing but, um, you know, it will get a few cheers from the people who support you anyway and get nothing but dismissal from the people that you need to vote for you in order to win. So instead of asking yourself, why do so many racists vote for Donald Trump, how about asking yourself, why are so many white middle class and blue collar voters no longer voting for the Democrat Party? So if you can figure that out, maybe you can reverse things. But you're not going to figure it out as long as you're entirely obsessed with calling people racist and awful and evil and pedophiles or whatever you fucking want to say. That's not going to work. Until you start actually addressing issues and people with a modicum of respect, then they're going to continue ignoring you. Both sides, I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. Some of the most offensive moments of his presidency. Again, I want to make... <laughs> now, see, if those are the most offensive moments of his presidency, then what the hell are we talking about here? Then the definition of offensive needs to be read needs to be changed. Those were some of the most offensive moments of his presidency. Really? Says who? 
According to whom, my darling? According to you? According to MSNBC? According to like-minded folk who get offended at the drop of a hat? Why why should people care about your level of offensive, uh, your level of offendedness? Why should people even care? So you don't like it and you're offended. So what? So what? What does that have to do with the price of fish? Why is that going to make anybody vote for anything else? It's not. You projecting out to the world how offended you are at a particular thing is not going to change one single damn mind in the foreseeable future. And nor should it. So when MSNBC asks about this this new practice of not apologising, many people out there in the real world would say it's long overdue. Many people out there would say we're sick of people apologising, we're sick of being asked to apologise, we're sick of politicians apologising on our behalf. And we're sick of everybody bending the knee because you feel offended. Because you don't like something. And now, after years and years and years, this barrage, this onslaught of the demanding of apologies. Playing to the three laws of politics. The transferring of power from somebody who's not afraid to speak out to somebody who can put them on a leash. Now people have had enough. They're fed up. And they say, I don't care. Couldn't care less. Be clear, I'm not putting Joe Biden's comments and any of those from oh. Donald Trump in the same category. God. Can, can you... <laughs> She's trying really hard not to upset the Joe Biden supporters in the audience, right? Let me be clear. I'm not comparing Joe Biden to Donald Trump. They play a little clip of Donald Trump saying, this is some of the most offensive shit I've ever heard in my life. And then she comes back again. I just want to make it perfectly clear that I'm not putting Joe Biden into the same category as Donald Trump. Please don't stop watching MSNBC. We need each and every one of you here with your eyes glued to the screen. This is next level pandering from the news. Have you ever seen a news station go so far out of its way to make make it clear to their audience that they're not trying to compare two guys running for president? <laughs> Simply asking a question. Has the practice of not apologizing become a new mm, normal? Joining new the normal. conversation, Eddie Glaude, chair of the Department of African-American Studies at Princeton University, plus joining us in Washington on the 2020 beat for us, Garrett Hake. Um, Garrett, how's the campaign doing? I mean, do, is, this, is this a strategy from them? It looks like one. Yeah, I mean, you've heard from a lot of the campaign's allies, particularly on Capitol Hill today, saying that the the hullabaloo over this is just politics essentially at its worst, that what we're seeing is a bad faith effort by other campaigns to try to punch up at Joe Biden and make an issue out of something that all of these politicians, if they've been in the arena a while, instinctively understand. That is that you have to do business with odious characters, with people that you don't necessarily even like or respect some. Ah, see? Now, all of a sudden, now, all of a sudden, everybody knows the real, the real story here is sometimes in politics, you have to do business with odious characters that you don't like. Sometimes the reality is, okay, everybody calm down. Okay. Let's calm down about this Joe Biden thing. Because everybody knows if you're in politics for a long time, you have to do business with some odious characters to dag nabbit get the job done. 
So everybody just calm down about this Joe Biden thing. This ain't nothing out of the ordinary. Coming up after the break. Why Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un's friendship is really fucking scary. Donald Trump is making friends with dictators. Donald Trump should come out and say that everybody who's the North Korea leader, Vladimir Putin, he should denounce everybody. He shouldn't do deals with anyone. They're all evil. See, James is already onto it. You mean like Putin? (laughs) You mean like Putin? Exactly like Putin. You know, sometimes in politics, you just have to deal do deals with odious characters in order to do politics. Unless, of course, we're talking about world leaders. In that case, you're supposed to do nothing but slam them publicly and never talk to them at all. <laughs> they are unwinding their own previous two years of accusations right here live before our very eyes. Like, just like that, they blew up their own narrative about you shouldn't deal, you shouldn't talk to odious characters in politics because it's Joe Biden. Remember our first article here, ladies and gentlemen, just a quick refresher, our first article, troll the libs, it might work on Biden. They say that if you accuse them of being hypocrites at this point, you're doing nothing but engaging in right-wing trolling, that there's no substance to what you're saying whatsoever. carry on times to get things done but i think the danger here for biden is this plays into a couple of the sort of uh traps for him the idea that he's out of touch within the party and i think the fact that these original comments came Uh, the uh, what do you mean the idea that he's out of touch with the part with the party do you do you remember how he explained his weird obsession with touching strange women and smelling their hair do you remember how they how they explain that the pr job they did on that They said, it's not weird or creepy. It's just that Joe Biden is very old fashioned and society has changed. You know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's just an old fashioned politician. He wants to touch them and smell their hair and society has changed. The norm has changed. Not that it ever was ever normal to go up to strange women and sniff their hair without their permission. That was never normal. Don't be, don't be mistaken. Perhaps back in the caveman era, when you would just go up and donk them on the head with a club and drag them into your cave, then it was probably normal. But it has never been normal to just walk up to strange women, grab them and smell their hair. But that's what—that's how that was explained away. Well, times have changed. Joe Biden's old-fashioned. And now they say, well, there's this idea going around that Joe Biden's out of touch. <laughs> oh, the idea, it's an idea that Joe Biden's out of touch? You mean the same guy who thinks that once upon a time it was just normal to go up and sniff strange women on the head? That that guy? No, he's not out of touch. It was their own argument that he was out of touch. They said that he was out of touch. That's why he was doing it. And society has changed. But now, it's just an idea. It's probably an idea that's being perpetrated and propagated by right-wing trolls, right-wing conspiracy theorists, trying to push a hypocrisy narrative. <laughs> at a closed door fundraiser, even though there was a pool reporter in the room, that is after all why we know that he said this in the first place, plays into this whole idea of an old Washington in which backroom deals were made. People are you know, sitting around Every- drinking their mint juice. See, why, why do they keep saying that all of these realities are merely ideas? It plays into this idea of old Washington 
faceless men doing backroom deals. Oh, you mean re- reality? You mean that that idea? Yeah, it just plays into this idea. See, they bounce, don't they? They bounce between Washington being a cesspit of corruption and underhanded deal making and power plays and backstabbing. And then when it comes time for the election, in order to frame their preferred candidates the way they want, all of a sudden that's just an idea. And the reality is that Joe Biden's just a good old fashioned guy who really loves voters and wants to do what's best for them. Right? I mean, you have to be at least intellectually honest to the point of understanding that politics is dirty and disgusting and it does attract a certain kind of individual. You know, somebody in my chat once said, um, they asked, what happens in what happens in politics? Because these people go in there with, you know, all of these lofty ideas and then they come out being horrible people. And I would suggest, well, no, I think it's probably the other way around. They're probably horrible people who go into politics because they're horrible people, right? But now, you know, the corruption and the seediness and the swampiness, that's all just an idea. Don't worry. Joe Biden's here to save it. He's a good guy. It's it's an idea that he's out of touch. He's not really out of touch. Tulips talking about whatever they want to talk about after they did the day's business. That sort of vision of an older smoke-filled room of Washington is... See, it's just a vision. Exactly what a lot of folks in the Democratic Party want to reject. And so, you know, it remains to be seen, I think, whether this sinks in with voters. I'm flying to South Carolina tonight and look forward to talking to folks down there about this tomorrow. But it's just one more day in which you're talking about some sort of Biden foible of the 70s or 80s and not what he wants to do for the future of this country. (laughs) There you have it. There you have it. Why Why are we worried about... Here's a question for you. If we're not supposed to worry about what happened in the 70s and 80s, and hey, I agree. I agree with you. I don't particularly care what Joe Biden said in the 70s or 80s either. I couldn't care less. But why the hell are we being told to ignore what happened in the 70s and 80s, but then have to change how everybody speaks and how everybody operates and laws and everything based on what happened 250 fucking years ago? Can you explain that to me? You know, we need to tear down this statue because this guy said some things about black people 250 years ago. Okay. So what about Joe Biden, who said things about black people in the 1980s? Forget about the 1980s. That's ancient history. Nobody cares about what happened in the 1980s. There's this idea going around that he might be out of touch, but these we're, we're wasting time talking about these foibles of the 1970s and the 1980s. What we really need to be talking about is what took place in 1788. That's when the real issue started. Right? So I'm all for not lambasting people for what happened in the 70s and 80s. But when you start dragging out the high school yearbooks and saying, this this kid used to get drunk. <laughs> you can see why people get a little frustrated. And you can see why this new idea of not apologizing to these people suddenly gains momentum. Coming up after the break, something that Donald Trump said in 1982. He had a building deal with some illegal immigrants. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. 
here in this Congressional Oversight Committee, we demand documents from Donald Trump's organization going back to the early 1980s. We want his tax returns. We want his business statements. We want us. We want to know everything the guy's been doing for the last 40 years. We want to analyze it, tear it apart, put it on the front page. We're just going. We're going to go over this Donald Trump's his whole life with a fine tooth comb because everything that he said in the last 50, 60 years absolutely matters and is absolutely relevant. Okay. Gee, what's this Joe Biden story about the nineteen seventies and the eighties? What was he? Do- what was he doing dealing with segregationists? <laughs> anyway, what are we going to waste a whole day speaking about Joe Biden's foibles from the nineteen eighties? Get a grip, dude. Talk about what's what's happening in the future, man. <laughs> Utter garbage. Utter garbage. And people aren't falling for it anymore. And it's about bloody time too. Here's an interesting one. Oh, let's do this one first. Uh, Smoke and Joe Scarborough was asking why Robert Mueller thinks he's above coming to Capitol Hill and testifying for Americans. I want to know why Robert Mueller thinks he's above coming to Capitol Hill. Oh, God. Does anybody else, does Joe Scarborough's accent for anybody else act like somebody is putting an ice pick in their ear and hitting it with a jackhammer? I don't know where Joe Scarborough's from, but wherever he's from, may I never end up there. May I never get off the plane in that town. A whole town of people walking around talking like Joe Scarborough, I think I'd shoot myself. Does Robert Mueller understand, you know, you know, Robert Mueller is a hero. He's a hero. He needs to understand. The American people need to hear from Robert Mueller, who's, you know, Mika, Mika, he's a hero. God and testifying for Americans. Americans. It's outrageous. I want to know something else, Jim. Why don't you subpoena him? This is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. He, it to you. he documented 10 examples of the President of the United States obstructing. He documented 10 examples of the President of the United States. <laughs> Why don't you subpoena him? Won't that be a tremendous look? What would, um, could you imagine? I hope they do. I hope they throw Robert Mueller in handcuffs and, and drag him into Congress. Wouldn't that be a tremendous look? And then we'll juxtapose uh, Joe Scarborough spending the previous two years talking about what a hero Robert Mueller is, how any criticism... He, he's been on this show. I've watched Morning Joe, where Joe Scarborough has said that any criticism of Robert Mueller is uncalled for because he's a national hero doing an important job. You cannot criticize Robert Mueller. It's unfair. How dare how dare you criticize Robert Mueller? How dare Donald Trump criticize this American hero? But now all of a sudden, just like that, what the hell is Robert Mueller thinking? Why isn't he getting subpoenaed? This is outrageous. <laughs> just like that. Gee, I, I don't know why people are cynical of the corporate press. Do you? Can you figure it out? Justice. He documented. Now look, now Dele- look. Now they're doing the evil shots of him on the news. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
where once upon a time they would only show Robert Mueller looking uh, grand and royal and in control, strutting through the halls to his office. They would even use his old war photos, right, with his with his fatigues on and a gun over his shoulder. Robert Mueller, ass kicker. Robert Mueller, American hero. And now they use this these images where he kind of looks like an evil genius or a pedophile. <laughs> this is the way that you would portray somebody that you wanted to slam in the news publicly. What, where, where are the hero shots? Where are the shots of Robert Mueller strutting confidently to his office doing God's work? Where are the shots of Robert Mueller in his army fatigues with a, with a rifle slung over his shoulder? Where, what happened to that? No. Now it's like, Robert Mueller. Dun, 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 Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller owes the American people an explanation. It's outrageous. Robert Mueller once thought of as an American hero. Now, an enemy of the people. Or at least very improper contacts between people associated with Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And you guys can't get him on Capitol Hill to talk, and he's too high and mighty to get on Capitol Hill and talk. Hey, I've got a picture of this guy in my house. Yes, you do. (laughs) And finally, we get to the issue. We get to the real issue. It turns out that little, that young Joe Scarborough's hero just ain't what he thought he was. It's like the kid who worships the baseball player and has a picture of his favorite baseball player up on the wall in his bedroom. And then one day he gets to meet his favorite baseball player and he's been excited about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, I just love this baseball player. I just love him so much. He's so awesome. He's my hero. He goes out and he buys the the merchandise with the number on the back. He's got the poster up on the wall. He collects all of the baseball cards. And finally, the big day comes and he's going to the game and he's got his little magic marker there and his little hat and he just can't wait to get his signature from his favorite baseball star. And he lines up patiently. He's giddy. He can barely contain himself. He's jumping up and down with excitement when he sees his hero exit the locker room. And as his hero walks ever closer to him, the stars seem to open up in the sky. A beam of light comes down from the heavens. Like some kind of papal spotlight. And as the little boy goes up to his favorite baseball star, and hands him the hat and the magic marker and says, please, sir, you're my favorite. Can you please sign my hat? The baseball star turns around, looks at the kid and says, why don't you get the fuck out of here, kid? I ain't got time for this. And walks off to his car. And the kid hangs his head. A solitary tear trickles down his cheek. He goes home. He races home. He goes straight into his bedroom and he takes that poster that he's had on his wall for years and he rips it down. Rips it into very small pieces and throws it in the bin. 
and now he's hurt. Now he'll never be the same again. And when he's in the schoolyard the next day talking to his friends and his friends ask him, hey, what do you think about that baseball player? Do you still like him? Then he sounds like this. Associated with Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And you guys can't get him on Capitol Hill to talk. And he's too high and mighty to get on Capitol Hill and talk. Hey, I've got a picture of this guy in my house. Yes, you do. <laughs> what? You're too high and mighty to sign my baseball cap? What? You're too special? I've got a picture of this guy in my house. <laughs> oh, Joe. Joe Scarborough, ladies and gentlemen. The broken-hearted baseball fan. There you have it. Oh, poor Joe. Poor, poor Joe. His hero. That's a damn shame. Uh, let's get to some more pressing issues. I thought this was fun. When you're a presidential candidate, there's something potentially as important as your stand on any issue. And that is, what song do you want played when you hit the stage? <laughs> 19 of the 23 contenders showed up at the Democratic... Take me out to the ball game. ...hall of fame event in Iowa last weekend and had to face that dilemma. What do you play before... Or your allotted five-minute chance to woo those crucial early Ooh. voters. I always thought it fascinating that President Trump chooses to end his rallies with the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. What, what message does he want people to get from that? You'd expect... I've thought the same, to be fair. I've thought the same about that. I've, I've thought, why does he play you can't always get what you want? And I wonder if, like... I'm guilty of the same kind of out-leveling traps that the corporate media get themselves into, trying to figure out what so what kind of subliminal message is being pushed by Donald Trump here. What if he plays that song just because he likes it? You know, <laughs> I think that's a possibility with a guy like Trump. I think Trump is possible. It's possible for Donald Trump to play that particular Rolling Stones song at the end of his rallies, not because he's trying to send some kind of you know, deep-seated subconscious message to the audience, but simply because he likes it. You know, yeah, I've got that CD at home. I really love it. It's my favorite CD. Good American band. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think he just likes the song. Because he can, exactly. <laughs> to politician to be aspirational, and yet he's telling them, hey, you're not going to always get what you want. Well, here's what some of the Democratic candidates chose as they walked on stage. Oh, See what you think. No. Steve Bullock, who hails from the small town of Helena. Oh, no. <laughs> now that's cringe. That's cringe. I was born in a small town. <laughs> because I often, I often get a lot of shit thrown at me because I really hate the song that Donald Trump walks out to. You know, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And it's, you know, it's not because I don't hate Americans or anything. like. I just hate really cliched, shitty music. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm a nationalist. I like patriotism, but I just hate cliches in songs. 
I won't forget the man who died who gave that life to me. It's like, oh, okay. Everybody knows you love the military. We get it. You know what I mean? I just, I hate the cliches in it and it drives me nuts. <laughs> Same thing with it. I was born in a small town. I love America, yeah. Stars and stripes and all that shit. I'm a good old American boy. Like, oh, sure you are. Went with Small Town by John Mellencamp. By the way, I think he earns that. I think that's a pretty good fit. John Delaney. Johnny Cash. Now that's a good one. I've been everywhere. Now that now I like that. That's one I like. That's one I like. Good idea. I've been everywhere, man. Good, good choice. I like it. I approve. Boogie Bumper approves. Well, at least he didn't go with a boy named Sue, right? He used it because he visited every county in Iowa already and has spent more time there than any other candidate. I don't know if it works long term, but I think it works short term in Iowa. This is the best match of all. Can you guess? Jay Inslee. He goes with ELO's Mr. Blue Sky. Even the CNN dude is like, what? <laughs> what the hell is this shit? <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky. <laughs> How good it feels when the sun comes out. Of course, climate change is issue, so it works. Do you know what, when I hear that song now, do you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's number two because that's the, that's the one where the little... Uh, What's his name? Groot is dancing around while they're fighting the big fucking space alien thing. So now whenever I hear that song, I just think of a little cartoon character dancing around in a joyful fashion. So he's fucked. Sorry, Mr. Blue Sky. That song's ruined now. Sorry, bro. I am. He should come out. I am Groot. I am Groot. Beto. Beto O'Rourke. The Clash. See, Beto should come out with mariachi music, obviously. To... Beto should come out with mariachi music to pander to his pretend Latina uh, persona. <laughs> Clampdown. Maybe because he was a punk rocker back in the day, Maybe. right? <laughs> Bernie Sanders goes with a classic. John Lennon. <laughs> Power to the people. Yeah, that's not cliched or anything. I don't know about this one. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. Elizabeth Warren. It's Dolly Parton for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> you know why? Because that not that like one of the famous working class songs? That's why she would do it. Because I'm just like one of you. Get me a... Hey, honey, bring me a beer. Can I get a beer? I'm just a normal person, just like you. Working nine to five. <laughs> Dolly Parton, nine to five. All I can think of is Dabney Coleman. It's a great movie. <laughs> Maybe a little too hokey. I'm not sure. I couldn't get to everybody, and a couple skipped the event, including the front runner, which got me wondering. What would which Joe song Biden have? Will Joe Biden use for his campaign? Because I've got an idea what Joe Biden would have. 
You let me violate you. You let me penetrate you. Help me. I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. Joe Biden, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! That's what, he, that's what he should have. In the opening rally in Pittsburgh, he went with the boss. Springsteen's We Take Care of Our Own. And I note that, as far as I know, Springsteen has no objection to the Veep, you know, using the song the way that he did Reagan God, and some other candidates. The but in Philly, three weeks later, he switched to Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom. Maybe just because of, you know, being in the city of brotherly love. I don't know. But if he has to pick one... Is that, what is he gonna play? A, is he gonna play a song that mentions every single town that he fucking goes to? Now he's gonna be doing the the old you know the old trick. Hey, is anybody here from out of town? Like the rock star trick. You know, I've been I've been rocking in a lot of places all over the United States, but nobody rocks like. Where are we again? Philadelphia. Woo! Joe Biden, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Tell you what, let's do a little bit of this. Let's move on from Uncle Joe. Did anybody see the reparations discussion that was being held in Congress for God knows why? Now, I know that this is a touchy subject. I know that people have very impassioned views about reparations and race relations and all of those things. But I'm not an American, so let's fucking roll on, shall we? Reverend Sutton, let me ask you, you heard Mr. Hughes' testimony and said he didn't want reparations. <laughs> yes. Do you believe, and this would be a study of reparations, H.R. 40 draws no conclusion. With all due respect, can anybody tell me why Danny Glover was there? What does starring in Lethal Weapon have to do with reparations? Like, maybe we should have had Bill Gibson there. <laughs> Get Mel Gibson in there next to him. But why was Danny Glover there? Well, like, what the hell is this? Is this invite a friend day? I don't get it. Like, I'm not saying Danny Glover's probably a very smart guy and has very relevant things to say, but his opinion isn't worth any more than anybody else, any other asshole, is it? What, what, what does he have invested in this? You know, I was in the Lethal Weapon movies. Oh, okay. Great. Would you like to come to Congress? Sure. <laughs> but I get it. Conclusions, it would be a study. Do you believe that there should be uh, exclusions for wealthy folks who have been successful and maybe emphasize uh, deeds and works and actions that help the people who have not achieved as much and lift them up? I believe that one of the, the reasons why it was so widely accepted in my diocese is we... Oh, I'm sorry. I believe one of the reasons why uh, the vote for reparations was so widely accepted in my diocese is because we... Rocks in the chat says Mel Gibson has some opinions. Yes, and he'll be more than happy to share those opinions when he's caught drink driving and when he's talking about the Jews on camera. <laughs> <clears throat> perhaps, perhaps they wouldn't appreciate some of Mel Gibson's unfiltered opinions in this place. Perhaps just just put that out there. <laughs> we separated it from um, uh, uh, black descendants of slaves getting checks. 
We're talking about funding initiatives, programs, uh, addressing issues such as mass incarceration. Okay, so you're at a reparations hearing, and the first statement that you make, with all due respect, Father, is that we're not talking about handing money to people. We're talking about programs and policies and, you know, uh, building up communities and incarceration rates. And then at that point, if I was the speaker, I'd say, oh, good, thank you. You can leave now. Bye-bye. If you're not going to, if we're having a we're having a meeting about reparations, and the first thing you say is I'm not talking about reparations, well then why the fuck are you here? With respect, Father, why are you here? If we're not talking about reparations, then what the hell are you doing? Why are you sitting in that chair? Not good, Boogie. <laughs> and when that's explained to people that that's a reparation, that's repairing something that can be traced to slavery. Then, um, then that is the case. Personally, I'm not looking for a check from the federal government or from my church or anything. I'm concerned about those who have been left behind, the masses of African-American uh, descendants of slaves who are mired in hopelessness and despair in communities of, of crime, violence, poverty, and, and, um, and, and racism. Okay. And so uh, I think if we can at least have a civil good conversation on the concept of reparations. Right. Then talk about money. What? Because the moment you start talking about money, the idea, especially among many white persons, uh -huh. I'm going to give a check racist, to black right? persons. What about me? The moment you begin with money, then the resistance goes up. Let um, isn't that what reparations are? So let me get this right. You want to have a discussion and a debate on the concept of refer of reparations, but you don't want to talk about money. Right. So we should discuss whether or not reparations are a good thing without the money even being considered. Like, don't talk about the money at all. Don't even bring up the money. Nobody wants to know about the money. As soon as you bring up money, it's a problem. Okay, let's not talk about money. Let's just all agree that reparations are a good thing. Great. Okay. Now, how much are you going to give me? <laughs> I thought we weren't talking about money. No, no, no. We're gonna. We're just going to decide whether or not reparations are good without mentioning anything about money. Let's pretend like reparations has nothing to do with money for a moment. And as soon as we all agree that reparations are a good thing, then you give me the money. Okay? That's the way it's going to work here. Let's talk about the concept. Uh, finally, and okay, do you want to talk about the concept of reparations? Great. What are reparations? It's when you give people money. <laughs> it's when you give people money for something. Ah, okay. So, any anything else that we would like to clear up on the concept of reparations, or right? <laughs> what am I missing here? Don't get it. With respect, Father. In relation to your question, we have a. Um, we have a problem in this nation of being able to talk civilly about race. Yes. And when I'm talking for reparations, I'm talking about those left behind, but I'm actually talking to my white brothers and sisters. You need this more than we do. You need this for your soul. Mm -hmm. You need this to be able to look black persons in the eye and say, I acknowledge the mistake and I want to be part of the solution. Wow. Does anybody, does anybody here know how the 
Protestant movement in the church started. <laughs> Little history lesson. There's a whole there's a whole range of Protestant movements, but one of the main driving factors. This guy's obviously a Catholic, right? He's wearing the little collar. And he's saying white people need to pay reparations to save their soul. That, that was a quote, literally a quote. <clears throat> Pardon me. Back when the Catholic Church dominated Western Europe and had so much power and so much money that they were running the show, what they would do would be the wealthy people would pay off the priests when they would sin. So if you were a wealthy landowner or something like that in Western Europe, you were a lord, say, you could go to the priest, the local priest. There is a word for it, and I can't remember what that word is, and I wish I could, but I can't. So you would go to the local priest, and you would say, Father, uh, forgive me for our indulgences. Thank you. RM John's in the chat. You win 50 internets today. Thank you. RM John's indulgences. Correct. So you would go to the priest and you would say, uh, look, I'm a good, I'm a good Catholic boy. I'm a, I'm a good, um, you know, child of God. But on the weekend, I may want to take copious amounts of opium and tea bag, a hooker. So, and the priest would say, okay, just pay me 500 pieces of gold and then you'll be free. Like then that, that will pay off your sin. Right? They even had lists in some places of how much each sin was worth to buy your way into heaven. So the priests were taking all of this money, right? And allowing the people who paid the tax, the sin tax, basically, the indulgences. And then they could just get away with whatever the hell they wanted to because they were paying their way into heaven. They were paying their way out of hell. And this was one of the driving factors for the formation of the Protestant movement because other Christians, mainly poorer ones, illiterate ones, the peasant class who couldn't afford to buy their way out of hell, would turn around and say, is this really the kind of shit that God was... Did God really say that this is okay? Like, I'm I'm looking through this Bible here. I can't see a price list anywhere. I, I can't see where Jesus said it's okay to knock up a hooker as long as you pay the priest 500 pieces of silver. I can't, can, Father, can you find that in the book? Is it somewhere in the back or what am I missing here? And then started the Reformation with Martin Luther. Exactly. Kimmy in the chat. So these priests were getting rich off. They were monetizing guilt. They were monetizing shame. Now, that was centuries ago. Literally centuries ago. And here we are in 2019 with a Catholic priest in the halls of power of the world's most powerful country legitimately stating that white people need to pay reparations to save their soul. And you thought, you thought society had progressed, didn't you? You thought that this was a progressive society moving on from the past. And what was old is now new again. 
and we have Catholic priests arguing that people need to pay money to buy their way into heaven. Wow. You need this. My white brothers and sisters, you need this for your soul. How about that? That, but let's not forget that race is central to anything we do around economic justice. Thank you, doctor. It wasn't all bad. Uh, you'll appreciate the next couple of speakers. Uh, my, my time expired. I recognize the ranking member, Mr. Johnson, for five minutes. Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And again, thank you to all of you for your time and your, your heartfelt sentiments. And uh, we know they're sincere. <clears throat> Mr. Hughes, I want to thank you for your honesty and your humility and your courage, sir. I know this isn't easy today. Um, here's, here's a big question that, that hangs over all this and that all of it. Oh, Ducks Regis in the chat say he's Episcopal, not Catholic. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. The point still stands, though. Um, you know, trying to get people to pay off. Using, using a man of the cloth to guilt shame people into paying money in order to buy their way into heaven. Um, sorry. Sorry. Not buying it. It's pretty, pretty rancid, toxic stuff, if you ask me. But hey, what do I know? This need to, I guess, address. Look, many people believe on all sides of the political spectrum that, that racial inequality that we see today is not entirely attributable to the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. It's a factor, but it's not entirely attributable. Can, can you elaborate on what some of the other causative factors may be? Uh, well, the, the first thing I would say is that blaming slavery and Jim Crow for the entirety of racial disparity, obviously it's clearly a factor, but blaming it for, for the entirety of the problems we see today facing black people is actually a way of not taking responsibility for policy decisions that were made just in the, in the last 50 years. Our prisons did not balloon until the 1980s. Um, uh, unemployment for bl black and white youths whoa, whoa, were whoa. virtually identical until the late 1950s. Whoa, bro. Whoa, settle down there, man. Remember, we're not so concerned with what happened in the 70s and the 80s. That doesn't matter. Remember... MSNBC told us not to waste time talking about what was done in the 70s and 80s. That's irrelevant. That is ancient history, comrades. What we need to be worried about is what happened 300 years ago. That's the real issue. But back in the 70s and the 80s, nah, nothing to see here. <laughs> 70s and 80s. Listen to this. Listen to this guy. Listen to this joker talking about what happened in the 80s. <laughs> Nobody cares what happened in the 80s, bro. What about what happened in the 1700s? Should it be? Probably Springsteen. As much early 1960s. So by per perversely, by blaming slavery and Jim Crow for everything, we actually fail to take responsibility for policy decisions that were made on both sides of the aisle in very recent history. Send you this uh, guy Secondly, I would say that there is a naive assumption that wherever there is a statistical gap in outcomes between two groups, that that gap must be attributable to some kind of discrimination, whether that's overt or whether that's structural and systemic. That assumption is not true. Okay, uh, just, just I'll give one example, but I could, I could give dozens. Uh, according to 2015 census figures, there's a 21 cent on the dollar gap. It's 21 cents on the dollar gap in household income between white Americans. Ah. See, now, now we're getting into a theological discussion. Robin McWilliams says, Episcopal are Catholic without Mary and saint worship. 
Let's see. Okay, so I'm. Can I? So do I get half points then? <clears throat> I'll say that he's kind of Catholic. <laughs> Is that all right? Can I say that? Because I saw the collar and I'm like, oh, Catholic. So probably a mistake on my part. But if we're starting to get into the um, into the nuances, I, I had no idea that that was the case. That Episcopalian was Catholic without. But how can you be Catholic without Mary? Isn't Mary kind of a central figure to this whole thing? Mother Mary? Isn't, isn't she kind of important? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Catholic, obviously. I'm an amateur, but I would have thought that, uh, you know, the, the uterus that spawned the Son of God was kind of a big deal. <laughs> what am I missing here? Oh, we're Catholics, but we just think that Mary was just another chick on the street. What? <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> that sounds very strange to me. I have a couple, uh, a couple of Catholic friends. Uh, I have one Catholic friend. Actually, I, I know two Catholics. Well, I know more than two, but let me give you two examples. I know one Catholic who's from Eastern Europe who would just probably shake his head at that and go, silly sects, silly sect. And I know another Catholic who's Palestinian. So if you want to talk about, um, you know, the, the real hardcore Christians of the world, you know, if, you, if you're living in America or a Western country like, you know, Australia or England or whatever, and you think you're being persecuted... <laughs> You should have a cup of coffee with my mate who's a Catholic from Palestine because he will tell you some fucking stories, right? That That is like ground zero for uh, Christianity in that part of the world. So, <laughs> you know, some, some guy who lives in a country town in Alabama somewhere. Yeah, the Christians are being persecuted. I don't like it. These dang communists are stomping all over us Christian folk. Making us feel unwelcome in our own home. And then my friend, the Catholic from Palestine, will go, hmm, yeah, really? <laughs> Jesus, mate, get in line. Holy shit. <laughs> but anyway, sidebar. Americans of Russian descent and white Americans of French descent, right? Disparity is the norm, not the exception. So the question is not why two groups would have different outcomes, whether it's for wealth, income, or incarceration. The question is why we would expect any two groups with different histories, different geographical patterns, different patterns of migration, oh, different yeah. cultures to nevertheless get exactly the same outcomes. Give this guy a round of applause. And just like that, lava started flowing out of the ears of the Democrats on the stage. Look at that. Base logic. I'm going to play that again. It's worth repeating. Slavery and Jim Crow. For Just one statistic. 60 seconds of audio. Somebody should capture that 60 seconds of audio and that shit should go viral. It's all about the way you approach it. Like, <clears throat> let me give you an example. I could write an article and take, so give me three facts about climate change, right? Three facts. And, you know, facts themselves are not pro or against anything. Using facts to bolster your argument for pro or against something 
That's what facts are. Facts are just facts. They're just out there. But facts themselves are not uh, for or against anything. They are just representations of, you know, objective truth and objective reality and objective data. But you can always use those facts in certain ways. So you could give me three facts about the coal mining industry, for example, and I could write you two uh, 500-word articles. One would be against the coal mining industry and one would be for the coal mining industry. And I could use the exact same three facts to do it. And know both, <clears throat> both articles would contain those three facts. And one of them would say, we need to end the coal mining industry. Like, you know, take, I'm just going to pull a number out of my head. Say something like, uh, you know, 10,000 tons of coal were extracted from the ground here. There's one fact, okay? Now, in the pro-coal mining article, you would say, <clears throat> bolstering the local economy and providing uh, energy, energy security to this state, we extracted 10,000 tons of coal from X coal mine. And in the anti-coal mining thing, you would say, uh, you know, our dependency on on non-renewable resources is rife. Just last year, we extracted 10,000 tonnes of coal from X coal mine. So it's all about presentation. It's all about how you see it. It's all about your position. You know, your position on the football field doesn't change um, the game, right, so to speak. And let me reframe that. If the ball is on the football field at the halfway line and you're on the 40-yard line, then the game looks a lot different than if you're on the 10-yard line, but the football's in the same place, right? The football, the game looks a lot different to the kick returner than it does to the quarterback, but it's still the same game, if that makes any sense at all. So here's your 60 seconds. Grab this. Everything. We actually fail to take responsibility for policy decisions that were made on both sides of the aisle in very recent history. Uh, secondly, I would say that there is a naive assumption that wherever there is a statistical gap in outcomes between two groups, that that gap must be attributable to some kind of discrimination, whether that's overt or whether that's structural and systemic. That assumption is not true. Okay, uh, just, just I'll give one example, but I could, I could give dozens. Uh, according to 2015 census figures, there's a 21 cent on the dollar gap. It's 21 cents on the dollar gap in household income between white Americans of Russian descent and white Americans of French descent, right? Disparity is the norm, not the exception. So the question is not why two groups would have different outcomes, whether it's for wealth, income, or incarceration. The question is why we would expect any two groups with different histories, different geographical patterns, different patterns of migration, different cultures, to nevertheless get exactly the same outcomes. Thank you for that. Mr. Owens, thank you. As Brilliant. <clears throat> Brilliant. I don't know the guy's name, but I just love that one stat, just slam it right between their eyes. There's, there's a bit of debate going on and a bit of conversation about Jesus and stuff now, so I've inadvertently kicked off a religious war. Um, I'm going to do my best to get... Can we get everybody on the same team again? Can we get everybody on the same side? Uh, let's do it this way. Well, I wrote this song for the Christian youth. I want to teach kids the Christian truth. 
If you want to reach those kids on the street, then you got to do a rap to a hip-hop beat. So I gave my sermon an urban kick. My rhymes are fly, my beats are sick. My crew is big and it keeps getting bigger. That's because Jesus Christ is my nigga. He's a life changer, miracle arranger, born to the virgin mom in a manger, water to wine, he's a drink exchanger, and he died for your sins. I preach the word, that's my gig, and I rhyme better than Notorious Big. All the other MCs, I wish them well, but if you live in sin, you burn in hell. I'ma pass the mic to my lovely wife She's a fly MC and the light of my life So the bust a rhyme without further ado Take it away, Mary Sue Jesus Christ is my nigga He's the son of the original G And he was sent to Earth to elucidate the way that we should be There you go So we can disagree on whether Mary's important or not We can disagree on whether we should venerate Mary And whether who we should worship and whether Mary was just an average chick on the street or whether she was something else entirely. But I think we can at least all agree uh, on the Christian side of the fence that, yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is my nigger, and we can move on with our uh, discussion about slavery and reparations. Well, and and I I was moved by your testimony about the fact that we're fighting for the heart of our nation. I think everybody in this room as part of the American family understands that. We we see it different ways. Here's a question. In, in your in your opinion, is there a formula that allowed the African American community to achieve the measures of success at during the nineteen forties, fifties, and sixties that is missing today? There is, and I'm going to point to uh, Booker T. Washington to, to to tell you what that that formula is. But I first, first I want to set a few things uh, square, a few things away. I've been talking about restitution a little bit ago, uh, and I I have so much respect for the the black men and women who built that great Wall Street. Little side out, out of Tulsa. Uh, not only did they have, they had 60 millionaires. They had international business. Within 12 hours, it was destroyed from the air by Democratic KKK. Weren't a, a lot of white, I mean, they're, they're white people, yes, but they're part of a certain party. The 40 acres, 40 acres in a mule, that was actually implemented. But when the, the Democratic president, Andrew Johnson, uh, Johnson, took over, they took that land back. They took away the guns, and then they took away their, their, their land. Uh, KKK, that's not a Democratic Party, by the way. They lynched 4,700 people. 1,300 of them were white Republicans. So, yes, we have a lot of evil going on, but let's not broad brush this, guys. There's a certain ideology. There's certain people that belong to a certain area, a certain niche. We need to hold them accountable. And so let's do that, and we'll, I think we're in good shape. Uh, Booker T. Washington had four foundations. It was uh, head, heart, hands, and home. In that process, I'm a bit I'm a bit hazy on this stuff, but I think that there was basically two guys who, after the emancipation of the blacks, there were two basically two thought leaders, and this Booker guy was one of them. And there were there were two ways that they were approaching things. And one of the other guy, I forget the other guy's name. Forgive me with my lapse American history, but the other guy basically was saying that. Uh, the government needs to give us money and they need to give us homes and we need to be put on an equal footing as everybody else. And this Booker guy was going the opposite route saying, no, 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 we're not slaves anymore. That's it. That's all you need to do. Thank you very much. But we don't want anything to do with the government anymore. Right? You like His philosophy was basically, um, and I tend to 
tend to agree with it. Although people would say, well, it's easy for you to say, white boy. But anyway, um, his philosophy was more like freedom means freedom has to mean freedom to fail. We have to be free to fail. We have to be free to find our own way and make our own success. Because if we're not free to fail, then we're not really free. Right? And it wasn't long before um, these emancipated black communities were actually doing really well. And in many cases, they were earning more money and uh, they, fit, they, had a, they had more, they had less broken homes than the white people. In many cases, they were earning more money than the white people in, in some local areas and stuff. And they were starting to really boom. And, you know, if you want somebody to go into this stuff more extensively, I would recommend Thomas Sowell, who I think is an American national treasure. A national treasure. Thomas Saul, the economist, and read some of his books when it comes to racism and reparations and um, economic factors that drive poverty and stuff like that. The man is a legitimate genius. Also happens to be an African-American, which is probably why you don't see him on any of these discussions at all. When he should be the first one you invite down to this little, this little, you know, cupcake and coffee show. But... Maybe I can bring up... Let's do it on the fly. We're burning the whole show down here tonight. Last Thursday. We're leaving everything out on the field. Let me see if I can find you something. Thomas Saul. Okay. Haven't pre-watched this. I don't know what it is. So hopefully it's a good one. Let's have a look. They usually are. Economic facts and fallacies. Quote. Some things are believed because they are demonstrably true, but many other things are believed simply because they have been asserted repeatedly." Close quote. You wish to let that gloomy observation on human nature stand? Sorry, yes. not sorry. Race wasn't the basis of slavery? Oh, it's a, it's a simple historical matter. Uh, slavery existed for thousands of years as far back as there are any records of human beings. Uh, archaeological find- you, can, you can already see why he wasn't invited to the discussion on reparations, can't you? <laughs> I suggest that, race, race, that slavery rather existed before human beings could read and write. So what race, a racial difference between the slaves and the enslavers that is a <laughs> clearly kev- clearly clever in the YouTube chat. Another radical alt right bigot here. <laughs> relatively new phenomenon. You you didn't have in ancient times the ability to go to another continent and move millions of people across of a different race across the ocean. So you enslaved the people who were nearby. The Europeans enslaved Slavs for centuries before they enslaved before they brought the first black uh, African to the Western Hemisphere. Okay, but so you're not suggesting, you do not wish to say anything other than that slavery as practiced in the United States was, it may have been recent, but you'd, argue, you'd be willing to grant that it was particularly perverse and, and, and destructive no, it's, because, it's, because race got mixed into it at that point, right? Race got mixed into it in the United States more than anywhere else for a very simple reason. The United States was founded, as the Declaration said, 
uh, of the independence, said uh, men are all men are created equal. Right. If that's true, then the only way you can justify slavery is to say that some men are less than men. I see. So the racial. But in, but in, but in Brazil, where where Brazil imported more slaves than the United States, there was no such ideology. Brazil was not a democratic country. The whole issue never arose. I see. I see. All right. Race doesn't account. And the subtext to that is, unfortunately for many members on the Democratic side of the aisle, the subtext to that is the Constitution actually was a driving factor in the ending of slavery and not the reason that it existed, like they like to say. Right? Because he just explained there. In the American Constitution, in the Declaration of Independence, it says all men are created equal. So if all men are created equal, how can we have some men here who are not equal? Hmm, that's a good point. Guess we better end this fucking slavery thing, right? Great. But in other countries where they didn't have that ideology, the conversation never took place. It never came up. So once again, the founding fathers who are, you know, lambasted and slammed and pissed on repeatedly in today's modern world for being purveyors, perverse purveyors of slavery, perpetuators of slavery. It was actually one of their documents that led to the conversation of slavery, you know, being done away with taking place. How about that? For differences in black, white income? No, the, the, the differences between uh, uh, income between Western Europeans and Eastern Europeans is greater than the difference between blacks and whites in the United States. Differences in income are, are, are the rule. They are not the exception. So, <laughs> looking at all these sociological studies that show a persistent gap mm. between African Americans in income and every other form of American in income is what, useless? It tells us things that we don't need to know. It misleads us. How would you? Twitty Zep says, I'm a Jew. Should I get some? Been pretty tough throughout the years. No, you should be working in banking or something by now. Right? <laughs> shouldn't you? <laughs> shouldn't you Shouldn't you own a jewelry store or something? Miss Weinstein, come on now. <laughs> Describe that. Uh, wrong, I think, sums it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is not true. Uh, Hispanics uh, have a lower per capita income than blacks. Hispanic households and families have a higher income than black uh, households and families simply because the Hispanic uh, families are, are larger. There you go. The great Thomas Saul. I'll tweet that out later. One more short clip here, and then I think I'll take a quick break, and then we'll open up the phone line. So if you want to get in, have a chat about anything you've seen here tonight. I've got so much more to get through. So much more. It's going to be a long one. Lots of fun stuff coming up after this too. We'll get back to having a laugh. There are some. I don't know if you've noticed. Have you ever taken a? Have you ever taken a moment to sit back and look and see how many fucking crazy people there are out there in the world? Well, I've gathered them all up here tonight for this edition of the free for all for you. So I'm going to chew it up and spit it out, and you can eat that baby birds. It's going to be delicious. Okay. <laughs> but one more here. Uh, Democratic presidential hopeful Kirsten Gillibrand being pro-life is the same as being racist. 
at Roe v. Wade and say, I don't believe that women have a constitutional right to privacy. You are upending settled precedent. And more than that, you're upending the the social compact we have as a country. I don't think it's legitimate uh, to appoint a judge who doesn't believe in women's equality. I don't, because it's settled precedent. Uh, you can have One of our Facebook uh, listeners on Facebook a- asked about your comparison between uh, abortion and racism. Uh, you've seemed to suggest recently that appointing a judge who opposes abortion rights is akin to supporting judicial nominees who hold racist views, suggesting there's no moral other side to the abortion debate. Is, is that what you believe? So the point I was making is that we believe in settled precedent in this country, and we have settled precedent to uh, make sure we value uh, everyone uh, and we don't discriminate based on race, uh, gender, and um, religious backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were a judge who wants to be a justice and you believed that you should up, up, um, upend or reverse 40 years of precedent on seeing racism as as against the Constitution. Um, if you uh, don't support recent precedent that LGBT equality is important, that marriage equality is a human right. Um, if you look at Roe v. Wade and say, I don't believe that women have a constitutional right to privacy, you are upending settled precedent. And more than that, well, just gonna, <clears throat> I was, it was just occurring to me in the previous conversation, um, the line in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, well, that was all well and good for the black men slaves, but I guess if you're not a man, <laughs> like, get back in the kitchen? Is that is that the way it works? Right? <clears throat> all men are created equal. What about the women? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what's driving um, the transgender movement right now. It's like, well, in order to be considered equal, we have to also simultaneously consider that all men can be women and all women can be men. So all women are potentially men now. Therefore, they are created equal. Therefore, boom. Declaration of Independence saves the day, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) All right. I'm going to take a quick little pee break. We'll be back in five minutes. If you want to call into the show, if you want to have, if you want to discuss something that you've seen here tonight, please do uh, jump in the Discord and then jump in the waiting room. Oh, it's settled then, <laughs> Jennifer Briggs. It's settled then. Jump in the waiting room and we'll drag you on the show when we get back. I'll be back in five. See you soon.
finale Thursday free-for-all edition of the Daily Boogie. Yes, you're welcome. If you want to jump in, if you've got something to say, then please do. You'll go straight to the top of the queue because nobody else is nobody else has joined. Nobody else wants to nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody likes me. Alright. Thank you, Froze Happy. Coming back. Thanks to those who stuck around. If you didn't, so long, sucker. I want to have a bit more fun. Get into some of the more lighter stuff that I've got for you tonight. But the reparations thing, I don't know. I'm a really cynical person when it comes to politics. And, you know, some people may say that I'm too cynical. But I suspect um, this is much like the gun control debate in that it only ever seems to be an issue for the Democratic politicians when they don't have the White House and when there's an election looming on the horizon. 
reason being uh, you want divisive issues to mobilize your base, to energize your base, right? Now, much as people would like to very rather ignorantly suggest that reparations is not a divisive issue, and, uh, you know, reparations is not a divisive issue, but everybody who argues against reparations is being divisive. That's the way they'll, they'll try to frame it. But, of course, that's stupid and ridiculous. Um, you know, it is a divisive issue, and that's exactly why it's being raised. Because, you know, one of the most stupid things that you'll ever hear, and it's one of the most easy, easy to see through things that you'll see in the corporate press during an election campaign. Take this, for example. After Donald Trump won in 2016, after he won the White House, the corporate media was in lockstep saying that this proves that America is a divided nation. Oh, we're so divided. The election of Donald Trump proves that we're really, really divided. That's what elections are. <laughs> elections are by nature divided. Because you are given you are given essentially a binary option. Option A or option B. And a big chunk of people vote for option A and a big chunk of people vote for option B and they separate themselves according to a whole number of factors. Thus, division. In fact, when here in Australia... When there is a vote in on the House in the House of Parliament, when the government officials are voting for or against a particular bill, that that process is actually called a division. It's, they say there is a division in progress, and the people get up and walk to the other side, whether they want to vote yay or nay. So the act of voting itself is called a division. <laughs> Oh, well, so many people voted for Donald Trump. This proves that our nation is very divided. Yes, the election itself proves that the nation is divided. The reason that I'm cynical about it is because you know that if Hillary Clinton won, despite that very same division being evident, the line would be the election of Hillary Clinton proves how united America is. It is it is rhetorical sewerage. It is mindless blabbery but people just repeat it and repeat it and believe it and never stop for more than a solitary split second to actually consider what they're saying and what they're saying doesn't matter it doesn't make any sense whatsoever so donald trump wins this proves the nation is divided hillary clinton wins this proves how united the country is all garbage all framing all made to create a particular perception for the audience, not to relay any kind of truth. It doesn't explain anything. <laughs> it's all about perception farming, outrage farming. All right, got an item here. This could be fun. Found this on Newsbusters. CNN's Alison uh, Camerota badges black Trump supporter for not agreeing America is racist. <laughs> Let's have a look. Sarah, you didn't vote for him. What are your thoughts when you hear your fellow panelists talking yeah. about what motivated um, them? I, I'm not surprised. Because I, I love the people that talk about white privilege and how awful white privilege is and white people need to shut the hell up and listen to the learned experience of people of colour and then badger them when they don't agree. <laughs> 
what are you saying? What are you saying, Mr. Black Man, that America isn't racist? How the hell would you know? <laughs> Surprised by the way that he kind of pulled people in. I have a child. Um, he's 14. He's a young African-American male. And just, you know, the injustices that have been happening around the country, we're extremely fearful, African-American community. And, you know, what since injustices? he's become president, it has become more fearful um, for us as a people. And so, um, Cheryl, why are you shaking your head now? It just amazes me. This is 2019. The race relations and the way that we perceive or way that we say things are happening in this country, I don't see it happening. I mean, there are, in terms of statistics, there has been an uptick in hate crimes. In you can say years. that. I truly don't believe it because I don't see it. I can statistically say anything. But I don't see it. Well, I mean, the people who chart it. For instance, the Anti-Defamation League, they chart I, I don't them. really even call that, like, the Anti-Defamation League, the Southern Poverty Law Center. To me, those are Democratic institutions that will say and manipulate anything. Oh! <laughs> Remember, oh, they didn't, they didn't screen this guy properly. Uh-oh. There is now a producer on in the earpiece of Alison Camerota saying, move on, move on, move on, move on. Remember, we've got a collection of lifelong Democratic voters here talking about race. And they thought, yeah, the black guy, he'll throw him in. He'll be fine. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Look at the other panelists looking at him too. Like, what the fuck is... He's breaking he's breaking the conditioning. <laughs> They're looking at their script going, I don't see this anywhere. What the hell is this? This is not ad lib. Cut to commercial. Cut to commercial. <laughs> look at the look at the guy in the back corner here, like, mm-hmm. Really, honey? Look at the white guy behind him. Oh fuck. <laughs> If you want a picture of white privilege, snap that. <laughs> the, the black guy's like, yeah, you know what? Those, those, I see uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League. I see them as democratic institutions that will just say anything. You know, I don't see the people talk about all this racism and stuff. I don't see it happening. You know, so I don't believe it. And the, if you want a picture of white privilege, there's the white guy sitting behind him with his arms crossed going, Listen to this nigga. <laughs> yes. What you say, fool? Look at that. How dare you, Mr. Black Man? Wonderful stuff. Wonderful picture of a Democrat voter right there. Snap Racism that. is not a microaggression. Racism is something painful and hurtful. And when we take microaggressions and turn it into the countries against black people, we're literally slapping the people in the face that went through real racism. And did you see Charlottesville as a microaggression? Oh, I saw it, it always comes back to Charlottesville. All roads lead to Charlottesville. Charlottesville is the new Damascus for the alt-right and the liberal corporate press at the same time. It all goes back to Charlottesville constantly. Charlottesville is two groups of people. Here, here's an idea for you. If you can, if you only reference Charlottesville constantly, like, so you say that all of these things are happening constantly. There's constant injustices. There's constant torment. There's constant turmoil. There's constant racism. There's constant hate crimes. There's constant race hate crimes. There's constant violence against black people. Okay, why is Charlottesville the only example that you ever use then? Hmm? 
Like, if it's happening every single day on every single street corner, in every single city around the country, why do you only mention Charlottesville? Why are you still talking about something that happened two years ago? If where's well, Give me a fresh one. Where's a fresh example? So he says, I don't see it happening. She's like, what about Charlottesville? He should have just turned around and said, yeah, that was like fucking two years ago. What else you got? What happened today? Give me one that happened today. You said it happens every day, everywhere. Where is it? Show me. Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Well, they came to fight and do something bad. Good people on both sides, you saw. I saw two groups of people that came together and fought, and both of them were equally wrong. There wasn't good people on both sides. There was the KKK on one side, and then there was the other side. <laughs> okay, okay, mate. Good, good job, bro. Thanks for, thanks for throwing your, your two bobs in. Appreciate it. Uh, this will be fun. A journalist's article sparks fiery debate when over why men became gynecologists. So this woman wrote an article saying men become gynecologists because they love to inflict pain on women. Let's have a look. Certainly not all women are saying we actually want females rather than males, you know, involved in this very intimate and often invasive world for us. It's just an opinion. Neil, it is an opinion it's a man's world. It's a man's world. It's a man's world. Looking at the vaginas. Yeah. And we should state that very clearly. Neil, I guess what, what some might have taken umbrage with is that there's a risk the column undermines trust that women have um, in, in, in their male doctors. What certainly your... wasn't the intention at all. That's oh, no. no. editorialising. Yeah. is not, not what I said at all. Uh-huh. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, right. I, for sure. But that, perhaps that then has been, people have misunderstood that. Exactly. There's been yes. a lot because of misinterpretation. A lot of, of, a lot of misinterpretation. It's a question that has caused fiery debate. Uh, uh, Nikki Gemmell, a journalist for The Australian, explored the topic in an article for the publication. In the story, a female doctor said men choose their profession because they hate women and like to see them in pain. Is it really a job for a man? And I just thought, wow, we're onto something here. (laughs) Imagine this. Put yourself in the mind of a man who hates women and wants to see them uh, it was to inflict pain on women. There are a number of ways you could go about it. The first option, I think, would be to just pick up a club or some other kind of blunt instrument, walk out onto the street, find a woman and hit her over the head with it. Okay? So if you if you were a man that wanted to inflict pain on a woman, that would be the easiest go-to option. That's your dollar store option. Now, there's another way to inflict pain on women. And do you want, do you want to know what it is? The other way that you can inflict pain on women is thus. Study really, really hard and get top of your grades all through your schooling career. Get accepted to one of the top universities and then go through a rigorous six-year process of study and placement in hospitals in order to learn your trade inside out with the highest marks possible. Then become an understudy and focus on a particular area 
become a specialist in the area of gynecology, another few years of school, more debt that you're saddled with, and then eventually after, say, at the end of this 20 to 25 year process, you get to become a gynecologist and finally you get to inflict pain on women. Yes, finally. (laughs) My master plan has come to fruition. All of those fools who gave me those straight A's and those scholarships and that work that I was doing, finally I get to inflict pain on women. (laughs) So you see, there's two ways you can go about it. (laughs) You know, I I just think that men become gynecologists because they hate women and want to inflict pain on them. Do I need a medical license to do that? (laughs) That's news to me. (laughs) You have to wonder sometimes, like, what is the editor doing at these newspapers? When that comes across the editor's desk, I I would look at the person who handed it to me and go, really? You want me to put this in my paper? Get the fuck out of here. You're fired. This is garbage. Eight years of medical training. So I can inflict pain on the women that I hate so much. Yeah. That, that's a whole new level of evil. And can I just say, I would ask people to read the column before jumping to conclusions. Uh, of course. Yeah. Neil, do you have any... There's always this retraction when outrage is sparked. They want to spark outrage. They want the clicks. They want to say outlandish things. They want to print outlandish things. And then when the anticipated outrage manifests itself and comes back on them, they sit there and go, no, you're misunderstanding. You just don't understand. That's not what I meant, okay? I'm just a lovely person. I'm not saying anything like that. It's fine. You're just too dumb to get it. You don't get what I'm talking about, okay? Okay? Uh, From one doctor to another, Dr. Drew, ladies and gentlemen, speaking about what's happening in California. Let's have a look. We have not seen conditions for humans like this since medieval times, period. And that's a fact. But if you get Dr. Drew Pinsky is scared and outraged. And on his radio show in L.A., he no longer holds back. Being scared and outraged is a great position to be in if you want to host a radio show, by the way. I'll just put that out there. Guaranteed audience. Tuberculosis is exploding, non-tuberculous acid fast bacilli exploding, and then the rat-borne illnesses, plague and typhus. And then we had typhoid fever last week. I, even I didn't think that, I didn't, I missed that. I mean, so typhoid fever means, oh, now we have oral fecal contamination, so that's going to mean parasites and cholera. Here we go, everybody. Just everything you, everything you found in your history books, we got it. Wow. It's coming. He says that bubonic plague, Black Death as it was known, which killed 25 million people over a five-year period in the Middle Ages, is likely already present in L.A. (laughs) The bubonic plague is likely already present in L.A.? The Black Death? Never mind that. Coming up after the break, why everybody's getting measles that has killed nobody. Get your vaccinations, boys and girls. This is probably good, too, because it's very apolitical. I don't think Dr. Drew gets into much politics stuff. So he's just saying, you know, what's happening and not putting a political tinge on it whatsoever. But I wonder how many people, how how many deaths is it going to take from the Black Plague for people to snap out of it and go, shit, maybe we should do something about this. (laughs) 
caused by fleas biting rats and spreading it to humans. Oh, and an army mighty. of rats, millions strong, has overthrown Los... Like, do you know what I want to see? I don't want to wish anybody any harm, but I would love to see, in Monty Python style, uh, carts being pushed through South Central LA and people yelling, Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! <laughs> that's, that's a campaign commercial right there. Angeles. They have infested City Hall. The LAPD station in downtown LA was fined by the state for rodent infestation. Jeez. Two employees have been infected by typhus. Cops typhus. have been diagnosed with typhoid fever, hepatitis A, and staff. Look at this. Under this overpass on the 405, on one side, there is nothing. On the other side, a line of tents and garbage. That's because one side is in Culver City. Culver City doesn't allow them. The other side is in Los Angeles. Los Angeles does. Do you feel like you're shouting into the wind? I am screaming into the wind. And it, I feel like, and I feel this way every day, like I'm standing on a railroad track and the train is coming and I know the bridge is out. And I'm like, hey, stop, stop, stop. And the engineers are looking at me and give me the finger. Wow. And I touched on this the other day. Yeah, nothing to see here. Move along. Uh, it doesn't win your votes, so why talk about it? And if you talk about it in a political way, then you'll just be accused of being a racist and a Nazi anyway, and you'll be dismissed that way. Um, but but the straws, exactly, Jennifer in the chat. Um, we touched on this concept on Trust and Verify a couple of weeks ago, the Cassandra Complex. And it comes from a woman in the story of the Battle of Troy, you know, the Trojan horse. So the Greeks were hiding in the Trojan horse. Uh, the people of Troy bring the Trojan horse into the city. And then during the night, the soldiers break out and then lay waste to everybody while they're asleep. And there was a woman there. Uh, I don't know if she was a princess or something, Cassandra. And she was saying, there are men inside the horse. You cannot bring this horse inside the, the city. And they were all saying, you're fucking crazy. She's crazy. She was running around screaming, trying to wake people up. Hey, hey, you know, you need to take, you need to understand we're all going to die unless you do what I say. And they threw her in a dungeon because she was acting crazy. That's where you get the name, the Cassandra complex from. And the Cassandra complex is a form of insanity that is caused by knowing the future, but being powerless to stop it. And you heard Dr. Drew describe his own Cassandra complex there. I feel like I'm standing on a railroad track and the train line is out and I'm screaming at the engineer saying, stop, 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 stop. And they're giving me the finger. So he feels like he's going crazy because he's trying to explain all of these things that are going on and nobody cares. Horrifying stuff. The most progressive and enlightened city in the union, ladies and gentlemen. Soon to be over, soon to be overcome with the bubonic plague, the Black Death, and still nobody gives a shit. Here's the real news: Madonna's anger at media is part of a growing celebrity movement. Just what we need—another celebrity movement. With celebrity journalism, negotiating access to be can be akin to playing a tug of war. The people might be pegged to a celebrity's new project, whether a film, album, or some sort of charitable undertaking. In any such case, his or her team might grant access on the basis of that project being the article's central focus. The journalist, however, might prefer to use the project as a jumping-off point to examine the celebrity's contributions to society. Yes, because 
journalists these days are more like activists than they are like journalists. So instead of doing their job and reporting on a particular project that a particular celebrity is working on, they want to know what the celebrity thinks about fucking climate change. And what have you done to stem? What have you done to stand up to Donald Trump? That's what they want to know. As when writing about any subject wielding a great deal of power, social influence in this case, the journalist's ultimate goal is to paint a fair and accurate portrait. That's a lie. That's garbage. Sometimes that means including the details the celebrity might consider unflattering or too personal. But when the journalist deems vital to a truth, deems it vital to a truthful and meaningful story. That last bit is where there can be a disconnect between the two points of view. Most recently highlighted by one of the most influential pop stars in American history. In a lengthy Instagram post Thursday morning, Madonna expressed how upset she was by a New York Times magazine cover story titled Madonna at 60. Published days before the release of her upcoming album, Madam X, she wrote that the piece, which centers on how she has navigated the pop music world she helped shape years ago, fixates, uh, fixates on her age and makes her feel raped. This is, this is what people are digesting. Madonna feels like the journalist, this is the big celebrity movement. A big, a growing, a growing celebrity movement against the media. And I thought, it's about fucking time. When I saw that headline, I thought, great, good. Celebrities are finally speaking out against the corrupt corporate press and saying that they're not doing a good job. They're doing a shitty job. We need a new media. We need an alternative, right? But alas, it's just Madonna getting upset that somebody said that she's 60 years old and it made her feel raped. Get a fucking grip. <laughs> clearly clever in the chat lengthy instagram post it must be serious <laughs> exactly she felt raped by somebody stating her age uh the life and times of the perpetually entitled horns are growing on young people's skulls phone use is to blame research suggests this was sent to me by zilly Mobile technology has transformed the way we live, how we read, work, communicate, shop, and date. We already knew this, but we have what we have not yet grasped is the way the tiny machines in front of us are remolding our skeletons, possibly altering not just the behaviours we exhibit, but the bodies we inhabit. Does anybody remember 10 years ago, some people out there saying, hey, don't use the phone so much, it's, got, it's going to give you a brain tumour. And everybody turned around and said, you're fucking mad. Don't listen to this conspiracy theorist. There's no evidence to suggest that you'll get a brain tumor from using a telephone. Don't listen to this guy. Push him back into the cave from whence he came. Now, the Washington Post is saying that your skeleton is being altered. Would you like to see? Do you like to see what happens with mobile phone use? Where's my picture? Give me my picture here. Where's my picture? There was a picture of horns growing out of somebody's face. <laughs> Researchers at the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland have documented the prevalence of bone spurs at the back of the skull among young adults. New research in biomechanics suggests that young people are developing horn-like spikes at the back of their skulls Bone spurs caused by the forward tilt of the head, which shifts weight from the spine to the muscles at the back of the head, causing bone growth in the connecting tendons and ligaments. 
The weight transfer that causes the buildup can be compared to the way the skin thickens into a callus as a response to pressure or abrasion. The result is a hook or horn-like feature jutting out from the skull just above the neck. The researchers said their discovery marks the first documentation of a physiological or skeletal adaptation to the penetration of advanced technology into everyday life. They call it text neck. Wow. (laughs) So children are growing bone spurs at the back of their skulls because they use their phone too much. Nothing to see here. LA is about to be overrun with the bubonic plague, a.k.a. the Black Death. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Incredible, isn't it? We have a caller in the chat. Let me go to our caller now. If you're listening, prepare yourself. Are you there, Stefan Sears? Oh, buddy. How you going, mate? Thanks for joining us. I was just writing down everything I wanted to talk about. I'll keep it short. Ah, Go for it. I will speak for everybody, buddy. Okay. We will miss time. Uh, Thursday night, free for all. He's the man. Well, I appreciate and, that. Uh, go out on a big bang. We are. We are. We're burning the house uh, down. Oh. We're doing. We're doing scorched Madonna, earth. Bro. We're going to scorch. We're going to scorch uh, the earth on Thursday night, so nobody else can grow anything in it. <laughs> we're going to. We're, we're going to taint Thursday night permanently. Uh, I know. Well, hey, um, it was fun while it lasted. Thank you for all your service. <laughs> I'll st- I'm not dying. Uh, I'll still be here Monday through Wednesday. I'll still well, be on Trust and Verify. I figure your show will uh, extend itself a little bit. We will. You know, us user contributions, but not. I had to get the Steel Panther in there for tonight. So okay. I hope you refresh your Twitter feed. I will. Thank uh, you very much. San Francisco Plague Tours. That's yeah. what I think ah, they're doing. Yes. We talked about that last night. Carrying on from last night. If you missed last night's show, it's called Slumming It. Um, Please do go back and watch it. We witnessed uh, a very industrious, a very entrepreneurial South African who is giving uh, entitled wealthy white tourist tours of the slums in Cape Town and dragging them into little slum shanty towns and giving them prison hooch served in a bucket and roadkill cooked by the roadside. And they're they're going around taking photos saying how wonderful it is. So Stefan had the idea that we should begin to you know we should have a number of slum themed resorts in the united states i said the gang leaders in chicago should start giving tours to wealthy white people and they can go on drug runs and shoot at police officers and stuff make it very realistic and you know this this is the way we're going to combat uh inner city poverty and now steph another another fantastic idea see if the people in with any kind of power steph like i want to know if you agree with me here if you owned a tourism company, if you were a resort mogul, if you were a politician, you would you would have to be listening to this show, wouldn't you, for these kinds of ideas? Where are you going to find this stuff? Anywhere else, honestly. <laughs> we want royalties. We want royalties. It was here first. Exactly. So we can have the bubonic plague tour of uh, LA. <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? And the best part, the best part about the bubonic plague tour is, Steph, you get to take the tour home with you. And give it to everybody. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's a little shit, meet and greet, and you get to you, know, you get to give it to everyone. You get to give it to everyone. It's, it's better than it's better than herpes, bro. It is. It's much better than herpes. Uh, someone in the chat's asking for the link to the Discord. I'll tweet it out right now. So if you go to my, okay, just grabbing it now. 
paste tweet. All right, it's out there. So if you go to my Twitter feed now at Boogie Bumper, and it'll be the at the top of the uh, timeline there. So yeah, there's no gift shop at the Bubonic Plague Tour. Every, no, it's, it's gifted. It's gifted. It's, gifted. it's, it's right. like America. It's free. Like, like nope, nope. I insist. Free bubonic go. plague for everybody. <laughs> it, it, you know what? No apologizing for it, right? No, no, no apologies. Sorry, not sorry. Lined up. Sorry, no not apologizing because it's unflattering. Exactly, exactly. And uh, to be fair, I want to say Madonna raped my mind. Yes. When I was young. Oh yes, she did. So for her to scream victim now. Well, yes. <laughs> Do you remember that book she brought out? I think it was called Sex. Back in the day. She was very well, slutty back in the, the day. Book, but I remember uh, a lot of her uh, MTV videos. Sure. Very much in my peripheral vision. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but she, see, so. she feels raped by somebody mentioning her age. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Claim the victim. Yeah. Well, sir? I feel right, sorry man. for her. Well, we love you. We're going to miss this. Well, and, thank uh, you. Thanks for joining dude, us, Steph. I appreciate it. Thanks for your service. Uh, many <laughs>, no, laughs been had. <laughs> no worry. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. Later. See ya. There he goes, Stefan Sears. Uh, we've got another caller on the line, Ben K. Veritas. Ben, are you there? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm here. It's good to good to hear you. Hello, hello, sir. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you, baby. I can hear you loud and clear. What do you got? Have you got bubonic oh, plague? My. Have you got the Black Death? Because you grew up, you grew up okay. in California, didn't you? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So you could be a carrier. Yeah, but not, you could not be a host. Area. It was. Uh, you could be carrying though. It's a totally different place. Yeah, but it could be laying dormant in you, the the Black Death. Who's to say? Yeah. It could, I guess. Let me ask you something. As a, as a former native of California, would you recommend at this point quarantining the entire state? Like putting a big, you um, know, it, big fumigation tent over the joint? Maybe half the state. Maybe cut it in half, or at least just the southern border. Quarantine just, just the southern border. Just maybe. the southern border. But that's not going to stop the Black Death getting into the rest of the country, though, is it? I mean, I'm looking for proactive solutions here. What would well, you suggest? You know, um, quarantining is so. Uh, it's so nineteen sixties. Yeah, it's so rude. Mm. It's very bigoted behavior, if nothing else. Right. I mean. I mean, not everybody's we shouldn't infected. Invite anybody of any disease to live amongst us, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, exactly. We we demand uh, equal rights for the diseased. <laughs> we don't discriminate. Exactly. Here. We just vaccinate more. Yeah, like. Right? Just because I've got a, um, you know, horrifying, deadly, contagious disease doesn't mean I shouldn't be allowed to eat at the buffet with everybody else. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, you want me to sit at the back of the bus? Like, what are you, some kind of bigot? <laughs> right? Right. You know, I did want to go back to um, when you were talking about all those awesome clips you had about uh, reparations and race issues. Um, yes. How has the Census Bureau managed to skate the blame for what they've perpetuated? They, so I, I think as far as 
how I see it, racism, the biggest problem with racism is being an asshole and overgeneralizing people. That's like the two biggest things about racism, right? Sure, I guess. Maybe. And that's what they do. They overgeneralize. They give you um, limited options on what you're supposed to check based on what you look like. Okay. And um, they create a... a majority that doesn't really exist see i, I don't know um, i must be confused minority. ben sorry to interrupt but i must be confused because i thought the biggest problem with racism was that not enough black people were winning academy awards hmm. i thought that was the issue am i wrong hmm. yeah. well they try to fix it in all kinds of ways ah. they, th they think there's problems that they can fix that don't they don't, can use the fix. fix. don't use the word fix don't use the word fix Fix. Try, try to fix. We don't want the the fix is not in. Okay, if you're watching Hollywood, no, the fix is not in. It's all the people are selected for Academy Awards. Their their selection has nothing to do with race and social justice. It's purely because they earned it 100 percent of the time. Okay, I disavow this racist. Right. Okay. So, so it's funny that they they actually force you on legal documents and all kinds of forms and employment and census. Uh, they they basically give you check marks that you have to check one, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't fit you. It's based on pretty much what you look like. And Caucasian is the, the big one that everybody's afraid of. That's the boogeyman that they helped create. Ah. Even though everybody that looks Caucasian that is expected to check that box, you mm -hmm. could be Russian, German, yeah. Swedish, Polish, uh, you could be from Greenland, and you'd have to check the same box that says Caucasian. It actually it basically right. wipes out any amount of um, heritage, and it basically just groups you into something that you look like, which is what they're supposedly against doing. Well, right? yeah, the the whole conversation is is steeped in shallowness and anti intellectual, you know, rubbish because uh, white is not a race. There are very there are many variations of white. And you touched on it there. You've got Slavic, you've got Celtic, you've got Anglo-Saxon, right? You've got um, the white people who uh, whose roots are in, you know, the south of France are not the same white people whose roots are in the east of Germany. They are very different genetic lines. So, you know, but they, they need to uh, group people in shallow ways. Like, or, and so the same thing applies, applies to black people too, you know. Um, somebody with their roots in you know, the Congo does not have the same genetic path as somebody in another part of Africa. And there are tribal warfares constantly in Africa and have been throughout history. So, you know, everybody who's black is one race and everybody who's white is another race and that's it. That's it's it's a it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Right. And you know, there's there's people who are forced to choose between one of two of their parents and it's a legal document. So you have to choose between one of the two of your parents. Like if I have a good friend who appears to be black, but he's actually Dominican. So he would actually probably prefer checking the Hispanic box, but that means anywhere South of the border and all of the islands around it. So it really doesn't, I mean, if you're not going to be specific, what's the point of providing data to the government? Sure. I, I have a friend who's half Chinese who, when he goes to China, he is accused of being a Mexican. And when he goes to Mexico, he's accused of being a Maori. So, you know, <laughs> he can't win. 
no matter where he goes. Right. So, so I do think the Census Bureau needs some more pressure put on them. I th- they're allowing this stuff to happen. They want the the fight to be between these groups that they create. So then they're not in the spotlight for screwing up the numbers. Well, can I can I push back a little? Can I play devil's advocate here? Um, Absolutely. Is the Census Bureau to blame for how these statistics are being used, or are they just gathering data? Well, now that's like, a bigger are you, question. Are you saying that, that it's are you saying that it's wrong to do like demographic surveys because that fuels division, or is it wrong to use demographic surveys to fuel division? Because I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with having up to date accurate data on the makeup of your nation you know what i mean like i thought we aren't we for information aren't we for science aren't we for information gathering right yeah i see what you're saying but um this is actually a bigger question about data and how it's used for politics Mm -hmm. um you can just so settled science can be settled science as long as you don't go questioning the methods like if you question their their data that they use for their statistics all their numbers could add up perfectly but if you question how they got their numbers then the whole the whole argument is ruined right sure this works with climate with um space theory um it works with everything if you go back to the roots of how they got these numbers then you don't like the math doesn't make sense if the numbers were wrong to begin with sure Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe if they're gonna if they're gonna do studies, it should be a little more accurate. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair statement. Um I think the I think the main issue for the census is one that people are finally talking about that I've been talking about for a few years. Even again, even though I'm not American, but sometimes I feel like like, you know, why do why don't I sometimes I talk about things like why aren't Americans talking about this when this affects them, like when it's so fucking obvious? Why aren't non-citizens in the census? Because the whole point with putting non-citizens in the census is the population gets counted whether they are able to vote or not, and that's what allocates the electoral college votes, right? So if you start putting um, non-citizens, if you start taking non-citizens out of the census, then all of a sudden the number that California gets to decide who gets to be president diminishes significantly because the eligible population uh, voting in California is not the grand total of the population itself. And so... Right. And why isn't this being addressed? a lot more problems. Why isn't this being addressed? It's, it's that, a couldn't lot that more be problems done? than just the vote. It's, it's also like the next year of, of, of spending and accommodations, like the hospital sky, sure. size, yep. the school size, the, the roads widening roads if you don't have accurate numbers of population growth then all of your your entire system is going to be messed up because they're basically sweeping it under the rug absolutely absolutely but okay all right well thanks for well, calling in voice ben. chat still works man it, it does good to see you today at the lumber yard <laughs> yeah i'll see you there next time <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate thanks for calling all in. right man Yep, have a good one. Take it easy. There he goes. Ben K. Veritas, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to call in and have your say on any of that, then please do. Just join the Discord. 
I saw Kevin uh, wanted to join, but he said he hasn't got a microphone right now. That's all right. I'm going to keep doing the Discord thing. I hope people like it. I like talking to people, so we'll, we'll keep it up. Let's do a couple more articles here. Let's do a couple more items here before we get to your contributions and start winding the show down. I wanted to show you this. This is fantastic. This is policing down in Australia, ladies and gentlemen. Uh... A police, a police press conference was cut short on the Sunshine Coast when a senior detective tackled a man who allegedly made inappropriate comments to a teenage girl and was running away from her angry father. So you can just imagine this douchebag walking down the road, sees a girl on the other side of the road, like, hey, baby, you want to fucking sit on this or something? You know, like typical kind of yobbish, um, you know, statement. The girl's dad says, what the fuck are you saying, mate? And starts chasing this bloke. <laughs> Little did the bloke know that the top cop in the state was doing a press conference just around the corner, and then this happened. Oh, I'm not 100% on that. You didn't get punished! Run! Look at Run! him go. Oh, yes, mate! Yes, you were, mate! You're going to get Ah, what a tackle. What a tackle. So this this bloke's got to be like nearly sixty, right? Just by looking at him, how old do you reckon this cop? He might be over sixty, but did you see the form? He lined him up, he put the shoulder in, he got right around the hips there, grabbed the legs. It was a beautiful tackle, sensational tackle. He could be playing on the wing for Queensland in the upcoming State of Origin. This guy. Let's, let's do it one more time. Oh, I'm not hundred percent on that. What a legend. Coppers are coming. Coppers are coming. Well done, lad. Excellent work. Excellent work, Chief. Good job. Good takedown. Freaky robot fish powered by blood and goes days without eating. Scientists believe that it will soon be hard to tell the difference between robots and animals after developing a robotic fish powered by blood. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with this? Is anybody here a fan of... Gee, I've forgotten the guy's name now. Um, Gee, famous... Used to host a radio show, conspiracy theories and stuff. Big Christian guy. And he was talking about years, years ago, 20 years ago, he was talking about how uh, they're going to build robots, killing robots that feed on human flesh, like that are fueled by human flesh. What's his name? He's great to listen to. Always very interesting. Always out there. You know what I mean? Uh, is it Steve? No, it's not Steve. Oh, shoot. He's on the, he's on the Hagman Report often. One of the only shows. He goes on the Hagman Report and uh, Sheila Zielinski's podcast. God, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. But Yeah, so he was talking about years ago, they, they want to build machines that feed on human flesh, which would clean up the battle. No, not Art Bell. Not Art Bell. Somebody will get it. Somebody will get it. It's been around for about 20 years, 30 years. Let's have a look at this uh, robot fish. If we can't, if Wired we reports, scientists have created a robotic fish that's powered by the blood coursing through its veins. 
The robot blood, as the scientists call it, is actually battery fluid that eliminates the need for clunky battery packs. According to Ars Technica, it serves the dual purpose of distributing energy and moving the fish's fins much in the way that a hydraulic fluid system would. Wired notes that the liquid battery route does have some drawbacks, one of the most notable being a lack of speed, with the fish only able to cover about one and a half body lengths per minute. There you go. So it doesn't need a battery. The blood is battery. No, it's not Rick Wilde. Um, the blood is the battery. Isn't that amazing? Robots usually operate by storing energy from a battery, but the robotic fish harvests its energy from a synthetic blood-like solution, enabling it to move its fins and swim against the current. Scientists have also programmed the realistic bot to maintain body fluid pressure and discharge waste like a real fish. There's another one here. One thing you should never do with your vibrator or you could end up in jail. Sex toy owners could risk jail time or a fine if they take their vibrator on holiday with them. Look out, ladies. This one's coming at you hard. A holiday might seem like an ideal opportunity to spice things up in the bedroom, but is it worth risking jail time for? Who says you can't get laid in jail, though? Who says you can't get laid in jail? Vibrator owners in the UK, where else? are being warned that they should check laws abroad before travelling as vibrators are banned in some countries. Places such as Malaysia, Thailand and the Maldives have a ban on sex toys and anyone bringing one into the country could be forced to face the authorities. Isn't that an unfortunate conversation with the police? Oh dear. <laughs> what are you in for? Murder. What are you in for? Bank robbery. What are you in for? Butt plug. <laughs> it reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in the movie Fight Club where he's at the airport and he's having a conversation with the guy who works at the desk at the airport and the guy's telling him that his suitcase was vibrating, right? And you, you only find out later in the movie that it, it was because it, it contained an explosive device. But uh, he's saying throwers, you know, modern bombs don't tick. Modern, modern bombs vibrate. So he's like, you know, uh, more often than not, it's an electric razor. But every now and then, and he leans in, he says, it's a dildo. <laughs> and Edward Norton's character is like, um, but I don't own a dildo. And he's like, you know, of course, in the event of a dildo, we have to apply the indefinite article, a dildo, never your dildo. But I don't own a dildo. And he just puts his hand up like, Psh, please. <laughs> No, not George Norrie. Okay, now we have to find out who I'm talking about here. It'll come up. Okay, I'm going to find Steve Quayle. Steve Quayle is the guy I'm talking about. So Steve Quayle does a lot of far out there stuff. Big Christian guy. Um, wrote a book about, um, you know, robots being enhanced with human genetics and stuff like this. So he's been around a long time. Very interesting guy, Steve Quayle. Actually, this brings me to another article here. Since we're on robots and weird shit, who would have thought that on CNN we would now be talking about UFOs? This is another thing that Steve Quayle would often talk about. He would, he's been saying for the last 20 years that um, you know, because, again, big Christian guy. He's been saying, in his opinion, 
that the Antichrist is going to be presented to Earth as an alien. That the demons are going to come back to Earth and they're going to be made to look like aliens. And they're going to say to the, the human population, hey, we're here to save you. Do what we want and we will save humanity, right? And then that's when they're going to implant everybody with chips and kill everybody off and blah, 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 blah. You know how the rest of the story goes. But that's been his argument for a long time. And so I've, I've seen, because I remember all this, I listened to a lot of weird stuff like that. And so then I saw this on CNN a couple of days ago. I was like, what? Is something really out there? Three more U.S. senators received a classified briefing about UFOs at the Pentagon or in current lingo, unidentified aerial phenomena. You may have heard the pilots and other military personnel have been reporting these, these kinds of sightings for years. A couple weeks ago, the Department of Defense even released footage shot by a Navy Super Hornet pilot. But you may not have known that back in 2007, Congress directed the Pentagon to set up a $22 million search for the truth. And Tom Foreman is with me more the on the uh, Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Um, so, Tom, talk to me about the, these senators. She's already laughing at him. <laughs> He's with the, the Identification and Safety Project. So tell us about the aliens, Tom. Getting the classified briefings on uh, UFOs. Yeah, well, here's the interesting thing. It's easy to laugh at this, easy to think it's silly or it's just a bunch of, uh, of uh, hokum out there. But Senator Mark Warner, who is the vice chair of the Intelligence who Committee, said, look, I think it's important. He told us just this afternoon, I think it's important that the military is taking this more seriously now than they did in the past. So what are they taking seriously? Those videos you were talking about relate to a couple of different sightings we're talking about. In 2004... The, the, see, this this will be uh, red meat to the people who say that Space Force is being created for reasons other than, uh, you know, China and Russia. Oh, I've got a link in the chat here. Sorry, I missed the link. I'll grab it. Futurism. Okay, thanks for that, Kevin. I'll bring that up now. Well, I'll put it to this page here. Sorry about that. Uh, does it, it says internal server error, brother. I can't bring it up. I'll show you. See? Won't let me read it, bro. Sorry about that. Yeah, so a number of people have been saying... Yeah, Quail is always branded extreme right-wing conspiracy theorists. But who isn't Cleo these days? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. And you know what? Um, when they brand somebody extreme right-wing conspiracy theorist, that's actually a testimonial to me now. I think, well, I better read this. I better see what this guy's fucking talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't listen to this person. He's an extreme right-wing conspiracy theorist. And I'm like, it's got to be good then. Can't wait. Hit the download button today. I'm going to download the whole catalog. Thanks for that. Thanks for the recommendation. Appreciate it. So, yeah, a number of people are out there saying that Space Force has been created not because of threats from Russia or China, but because of the aliens, ladies and gentlemen. They're out there. There's one called the Tic Tac sighting. They called it that because they said it looked like a Tic Tac flying out there very close to the water on the West Coast. And then more recently, there were some out on the East Coast that people were talking about, 2014, 2015, where these pilots were describing seeing these things up to 30,000 feet in the air, flying at extraordinary speeds, hypersonic, well over the speed of sound, changing direction in the most uh, astonishing ways and seemingly defying the laws of physics. Listen to what one of these pilots had to say. No distinct wings, no distinct tail, no distinct exhaust. It seemed like they were aware of our presence because they would 
actively move around us. So that's what has everyone excited here. These Isn't it pretty wild, though, that this is being played on CNN? How can CNN, in all honesty, say that, you know, we need to banish fake news and stuff and then go do UFO stories? Like, and I'm not saying that it's true or untrue or anything like that, but they have made a, you know, they've they've painted themselves into a corner here, saying, oh, well, you can't publish opinions, you know, people putting out crazy theories. Next thing you know, they're talking about fucking UFOs. Like, what the hell is going on? Interesting, though, nonetheless. Uh, this is something I wanted to get to as well, which I find frightening beyond my worst nightmares. Facebook is launching its own cryptocurrency called Libra, and we're going to explain. If you're new to this podcast, there's a few episodes that you should go back and listen to. Um, regulated, uh, a whole a whole bunch of podcasts that we've done on internet freedom and how that's being threatened on a you know daily basis how the clampdown is coming. So if you go into the back catalogue and look around there, uh, what was it? Regulated was one. Um, how to kill an internet in 10 days was another one. And there's about four or five very close together. It was just after the um, Christchurch shooting when all of the government started to say, well, we need to ban, ban live streaming because reasons was another one. They wanted to ban live streaming because of the Christchurch shooting. 10 people watched it on Facebook, so we've got to ban live streaming for everyone, right? These kinds of things. So uh, if you're worried about the likes of Facebook having too much control over your ability to enter the marketplace because they can indiscriminately ban whoever they want, this should frighten the absolute hell out of you. The Facebook plan replace the world's dollars euros francs yen and pesos with a new cryptocurrency called the libra used by people all over the world cutting fees and exchange rates similar to payment apps venmo and zelle you could use your phone to transfer libra to friends shop online oh, or goody. pay at your local store it's got the experts on cnbc buzzing this is going to be the biggest thing that's happened to facebook in years this is going to be their attempt to be able to give away something that everybody in the world will love. 28 companies have already signed up to... Does anybody see the problem? Why do you think it would be a problem for... Let's Okay, let's do the private company thing. It's a private company. They can ban whoever they want. Fine. Does anybody see a problem with them being able to control the means of payment as well? So if you're a business owner and you're on Facebook, now you're going to have to sign a an agreement with all of these companies. Look at them. Vodafone, Visa, Stripe, eBay, Spotify, Calibra, PayPal, Coinbase, PayU, Uber, ladies and gentlemen. Bookings Holdings. MasterCard. So if you're deemed as somebody who... Uh, should not be on the platform of Facebook, all of a sudden your rating on Facebook could be tied to your ability to do business in this world in real terms, like directly. Not just people lobbying Facebook or lobbying PayPal to get your page taken down, but actual direct control. So you make sure that you're a good comrade 
Don't you dare say anything out of line if you want to be able to do banking in the future. Yes, General Eaton's on it. All the companies that banned people are now all signing up to this crypto. And the way they just bandied about too. Facebook is looking to replace the banking system. Oh, isn't that what? Isn't that fucking wonderful? Oh my, sounds delightful, doesn't it? <laughs> Horrifying. Cleo says this is Book of Revelation stuff. Well, yeah, a, a large part. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe a large part of the whole Mark of the Beast thing is if you don't have the mark, then you won't be able to do business. You won't be able to buy and sell. You'll be essentially excommunicated from the marketplace. Launch and govern the use of the Libra, including Visa, MasterCard, Uber, Lyft, eBay, Spotify, and PayPal. As Facebook now tries to take a bite out of Amazon's dominance in e-commerce. But analysts say years of hacks, privacy violations, and Russian trolls have undermined the public's trust in Facebook. On the dollar, there's in God we trust, and this is in cryptocurrency, do we trust Facebook? That's really the question. Facebook says it won't manage the new financial system. Instead, it's launching a subsidiary called Calibra to do that. <laughs> Mark my words, ladies and gentlemen. There are going to be people out there in the coming days and weeks and months who are going to tell you that you are completely crazy for having any kind of skepticism to a Facebook-run banking system. And these are going to be people with vested interests and they might be running little Facebook companies like little buy and sells. They might be, they might have a little business that exists predominantly on Facebook. These are the first ones every single time and it's right or left. It doesn't matter. It's not a right or left thing. Some of them will be on the left. Some of them will be on the right. But whenever a Facebook scandal comes out, all of these little critters start scurrying out like cockroaches. When you flick on a light in a dirty kitchen, they start scurrying. Whenever there's a Facebook scandal, all of these little pissants start running out and doing little posts and little periscopes and start going, guys, guys, you, don't worry. Facebook's okay. You don't have to delete your Facebook. You know, this is mainly, mainly fear-mongering, okay? Facebook is just good for what you use it for, okay, guys? So don't leave. It's really good, okay? And people go, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm making too much of this. Right? Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. There's no need, guys. You don't have to worry. It's fine. Maybe I'm making too much of this. <laughs> of course, they're not going to do anything that risks their account, are they? They wouldn't dream of doing anything that risks their account. They're going to need their account in the future. Sorry, I'm just getting a bit of audio issue here. That's better. They're going to need their account in the future. So why would they say anything that risks that situation, right? Guys, don't leave Facebook. That's where their customer base is. So I'm telling you, save this post, save this line, save this clip. In the coming weeks, when people start to really analyze this shit show for what it is, 
then all of these little people are going to scurry out and say, it's going to be great. Stop panicking. You're fear mongering. Don't listen to these people. Blah, 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 blah. Trust me. That saying Calibra will not share account information or financial data with Facebook <laughs> or any third party without customer consent. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at Facebook and you're having all of these dramas? You've got court cases about sharing personal data, data mining, metadata. You're doing invasive surveys. You're you're selling people's personal data to corporations so they can be sold shit. You're doing all of this underhanded shit. And you say, well, how do we get around this? How are we going to launch our new cryptocurrency without this baggage hanging over us? Like without this albatross strapped to our neck? I know. Let's create a new company and let's let them do it for us. Oh, yeah, no problem. Guys, guys, it's not Facebook doing this. It's Calibra. It's Calibra. Facebook created Calibra to run the cryptocurrency. Facebook's not doing it. It's a totally different company, guys. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Sounds great. Where the fuck do I sign up? And promising strong protections in place to keep your money and your information safe. Ah. But wait, you ask, what about Bitcoin? What Trading about the Bitcoin? was temporarily halted as the value of Bitcoin fell about 20%. Super volatile and popular with cyber crooks. But without regulators, it's been slow to catch on for e-commerce. Facebook says the Libra will be pegged to real currencies with ah. a regulatory system. Still, some right. cybersecurity pros are recommending a go-slow approach. My advice is, if you get an offer to start using Libra, proceed with caution. Let other users be the guinea pigs. <laughs> Tom, I'm going to confess, every time you're talking about cryptocurrencies, my eyes yeah. glaze over. I don't really get it. So can you do <laughs> Every time you talk about cryptocurrency, my eyes glaze over. I don't really get it. I better just sign up for it. Everybody else is doing it. What could possibly go wrong? Let Facebook control the means of currency. And money and exchange of funds online. That'll be fucking fantastic. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, just a couple more items here, and then we'll get to your stuff. Uh, was this the first one I had? No, let's do this one first. Um, some vegans decided to get themselves branded in order to protest the killing of cows for some reason. actually have a brand i have a branding on my arm that's that's a little I'm, I'm letting you in on a little known boogie fact for the last thursday night free-for-all i have a branding on my arm and so i don't have a people often say like does it hurt more than a tattoo i don't have any tattoos but i can tell you it hurts a fucking lot when it's when it's happening but the pain is very very short like so i think a tattoo probably uh, tattoos take hours and hours and hours and hours of prolonged pain, but a branding once it's over, it pretty much stops hurting. You'll be pleased to know. But I didn't I didn't do it to fucking save the cows or anything like that. Uh, the reason I have a branding is because I was born silly and got drunk one day. <laughs> to totally different motivation. You'll be pleased to know. Born silly and drunk. Not I don't care for the cows, unless they're uh, you know rare with a side of asparagus 
mashed potatoes and a lovely Diane sauce. wonder if there was any of these vegans in the audience when people were getting branded and going you know what the smell of cooking flesh actually isn't that bad <laughs> maybe i've been thinking about this all wrong maybe I, maybe i would like to taste some meat perhaps human if possible uh there was also this this uh this was tweeted out by ian miles chung oh i don't know did he used to write for milo or something i don't know who he is but uh, he tweeted this out with the line, modern art is fucking garbage. <laughs> I wonder if the vegans approve of this. I do not know what this is. <laughs> this is art. Miss Piggy's over there. That little piggy there, the blonde piggy with the pigtails, I think she could get it if she wanted to. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Like, do I need to say any more? What have we got here? 72 Philadelphia police officers placed on administrative duty over social media posts. Yes, the crackdown on social media. I can't wait to hand over my banking details. We on Action News. Action News. Is it up? Before I started watching local American news reports, I thought Action News was a meme. Like I thought that was something that was used it was it's used in the Simpsons, right? Kent Brockman Action News. Yeah, I didn't think it was a real thing. But so many of these little local news stations in the United States, the action news. <laughs> What's the action here? This old guy behind the desk? He hasn't seen action in half a century. AccuWeather, only on Action News. Action News. Is an update in the police social media probe. And one thing is clear, Commissioner Richard Ross is very distraught. Action News reporter Christy Leto is live at police headquarters tonight. Christy, you've got all the details. That's right, and understandably so is why he's upset. As the department and the legal team continued to go through those more than 3,000 social media posts that began flagging even more and more officers' accounts. Wow. Posts that have now made it that much more difficult for the department to do its job and police. Do you know what do you know what it, do you know what makes it hard for police departments to do their job? Stories getting out there into the public of the hierarchy of the police department policing their own officers' Facebook pages to see, policing their own officers' tweets to see if they tweet anything that might be offensive in their own private time. That, I imagine, would uh, somewhat undermine trust in the policing system, especially when you see petty crime or drink driving or illegal immigration and these kinds of things taking place. You know, the kid down the road got shot the other day over a drug deal gone wrong, but I'm so glad that you are watching your own officer's Facebook pages to make sure that they don't tweet a meme. 
Like, that's the real issue here. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much for, for policing the community. Good fucking police work, detective. Well done. We see here I logged on to detective... I, I logged on to senior detective Jones's Facebook page and I witnessed a number of very disturbing posts and very disturbing memes... Uh, one had at least one was dealing with Hillary Clinton and another one was talking about uh, aspects of our local community and the people within it. And we feel that this is not an accurate representation of the department. So we had to uh, action has been taken and we now have 72 less police officers on the street because they tweet things we don't fucking like. Do you believe it? <laughs> Do you fucking believe it? We. They, they complain that there aren't enough police officers and not enough people want to become police officers because it's an extremely difficult job. And then they take 70 of their own police officers off the street because of what they write on Facebook. But it makes me sick, to be honest with you. Oh, it makes it me really sick. It really makes I'm me so sick disgusted. we are in a position to know better. Strong words from Commissioner Fuck Ross off. as six dozen active duty officers are now on desk duty for allegedly authoring racist and Islamophobic posts on Facebook. <laughs> now, see, this is the problem. This is the problem. Clearly clever. I bet a bunch of cops do have some crazy posts. I bet they do, too. Because imagine if you're a cop, imagine the shit that you see and have to deal with on a daily basis. So I imagine when you're in your own private time, your filter is very much, uh, your filter is very, you know, it's very thin. You know what I mean? Like I've known cops and if you get a bunch of cops standing around talking over a beer and stuff, it's not like, yes, sir, no, sir. Because they're off duty, right? They're, they're, they're chilling out. They're relaxing. So it's like, oh, you should have seen this fucking motherfucker. You know, like, blah, 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 blah. This dumb motherfucker thought he could fucking do this. You know, that's the way they talk when they're off duty, when they're enjoying themselves, because they have to be so, uh, you know, strict and, and straight-laced when they're on the job. So everybody needs time, time off. Everybody needs to turn their brain off from time to time. But the problem here is always... The, the news, because it's shallow, because it's all about sound bites, because it's all about, you know, 60 second grabs, uh, two, you know, six dozen police officers have been put on desk duty because of racist and Islamophobic Facebook posts. But hang on, what these days do people on Facebook and those who watch Facebook define as racist and Islamophobic? That's the problem. Because I guarantee you, although there may be a number of posts that are, you know, really bad, like really, you know, offensive stuff. Not that I care. I couldn't give two fucks. But there would be stuff that people have posted that is like pushing the line, pushing the boundary. Fair enough. But I guarantee you there's a whole bunch of posts that are really milk toast and really vanilla and aren't that offensive at all. But somebody else has de deemed it to be Islamophobic. Somebody else has deemed it to be offensive or racist, right? And so they get ripped out too. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to go to work every single day and know, go to work as a police officer every single day, have to deal with the shit on the streets that you have to deal with, and then go home, you relax, you crack open a beer, you have yourself a steak dinner, you jump on Facebook and you see a, a meme about, you know, uh, Islam or, you know, gangbangers or something like that. You laugh and you share it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. 
Next day, you walk into your office and the superintendent's there going, what the fuck were you thinking? And you're like, sorry, what? And they're like, we've been watching your Facebook posts. This is unacceptable, detective. You'd be like, are you fucking joking here? Get the fuck out of my life. What are you doing? Right? Fuck that. Fuck that. Does their Facebook activity in any way diminish their ability to carry out their job as a police officer on a day-to-day basis? If no, then get the fuck out. Shut the fuck up and leave them the fuck alone. End of story. The disturbing update comes as the department hired prominent law firm Ballard Spar to investigate the social media posts of more than 300 active duty officers identified in a public database. Is Is there nothing else going on in Philly? Have we solved all the problems in Philly, have we? So it's like, uh, there's no more crime in Philly. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing's going on. Uh, We've got all this budget here. What do you want to do? I know. Let's hire a fucking team of attorneys to investigate our own officer's Facebook posts. Oh, bro. Well, great decision, sir. Is Is there fuck all else going on in Philadelphia? Hey, somebody's trying to break into my store and steal my money. I'm sorry. We're busy reading Facebook. The, the meme has come true. Why, where are the coppers? They're all looking at Facebook. Why are they on Facebook? Well, they're investigating each other to see if they posted something that was Islamophobic. Do you fucking believe it? Is there nothing better to do? I'm sure there's a whole, uh, there's a whole, there's a phone book full of potential investigations that they could spend money on, but they decide instead to investigate their own officer's Facebook posts. It's incredible. (laughs) I can't believe it. I can't believe that they're being applauded for it. Unbelievable. Nothing else going on in Philly. We've taken care of all the crime. All the crime has been dealt with. Why is this happening? Asked Cleo. That is a bigger question. Probably a whole... Probably a whole range of reasons, but I suspect it's probably more to do with PR and public image than anything else. Because somewhere in the hierarchy of the police department, there is somebody who is hired specifically for one of these roles. They went through a liberal arts college and they have the role in the police department, something like community engagement officer. That's And that's their job, right? As the community engagement officer, I think that we need to clean up some of the vile, racist attitudes of our cops, right? And, th- and there you go. That's That kicks off your investigation. There's your money. Stamp it. There's your budget. Off you go. Let's see how many of these pigs you can drag off the street, right? It's known as the Plainview Project. We will not uh, be shy about meeting out the appropriate discipline, uh, appropriate which could discipline. range from, in many cases a day or so off all the way up to termination. The FOP called it premature and irresponsible to talk about firing without a complete investigation. Top Brass, though, says discipline will come in stages. The most egregious posts will be dealt with first. What's being looked at? Are the posts protected by free speech? And how does it impact the department's ability to police? (laughs) Fuck free speech, they say. Fuck free speech, who cares? To hell with free speech. Uh, I forget who sent this one through. Impeach 45, indivisible day of action. They sent it through with something like, there's more paper here than there are people. 45! Impeach 45! 
At least these fuckers have got a bit of rhythm compared to most of them. One more before we go to your stuff. It was recently the 25th anniversary of NBC's Today program. Congratulations, NBC. Congratulations, the team down there at NBC News and the Today program. Uh, but what they did, they they retrospectively depersoned Matt Lauer. You'll remember Matt Lauer was the guy who had a button on his desk that would lock the door so he could apparently do things with women, do things with interns. That all came out a couple of years ago. So they had to go back and airbrush Matt Lauer out of any kind of celebration over their anniversary like he was never there, like it never happened. Retrospectively unpersoned from the show. That's got to hurt. So for the 25 years of the Today program, I think Matt Lauer was there for at least 10 of them, possibly 15. Am I wrong? He was there for a fucking long time. But in their little celebration montage, they had to get rid of him. <laughs> so we're going to start our celebration with a look back at how it all began. We will find ourselves a new home, a window on the world from which we proudly begin a new chapter in morning television. Good morning and welcome to today on a Monday morning. Welcome to Studio 1A. For a quarter of a century, our today home has been Studio 1A. Hey everybody, welcome to today. Thanks for joining us. A street side studio on 49th Street in the heart of Manhattan. And a sex dungeon. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. For 25 years, Studio 1A has been home to our program and a sex offender. <laughs> it happened to Marty McFly back in Back to the Future. Clearly clever. He's been Marty mcfly Chicken McFly! I remember when the plaza was reopened. I would wake up in the morning and watch Bryant and Katie. I remember when Matt Lauer rubbed his erection on the back of my jeans. Memories. <laughs> I remember when Matt Lauer exposed himself in the coffee room. <laughs> it was just before we went on air. Katie Keurig nearly spat up her cappuccino. <laughs> and I remember back then thinking, that, that looks like a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. Today show a movie. lot of fun working at NBC back in the day. Woo, baby. Yeah. Leave your keys in the bowl at the door, princess. You've got a date with Matt Lauer. Critic Gene Shalit took the move literally. Hey, man, look safe. Here we go. Oh, I remember that crazy Once fucker. a bank, a vision for the new studio was drawn, blueprints made, and a time-lapse recorded. This pioneering, exciting, innovative return to the past in a way. Return to the Today Show. See, because they've got, they can't use anything for the last 10 years, so it's flashing back between last week and fucking 20 years ago. <laughs> It's like the whole previous decade never happened. <laughs> like, if you look at the footage that they're showing, it's going from 25 years ago to yesterday. 25 years ago, last week. Like, there's a big hole, big chunk in the middle. I haven't seen any clips of yet. The Today Show premiered in 1952 with a windowed studio at a time when television was a new invention. 
part of our cast is you, uh, you the public at least. See, we're in a big glassed-in kind of fishbowl here. We can look out the window, as you see, <laughs> and see the people. Not much has changed, has it? <laughs> the host of NBC. Well, you know, we're in a big kind of closed-in fishbowl here. I'm like, yeah, you don't say. You still are. They still are. Everything outside of this fishbowl is racist and evil and wrong. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, part of being on television is being part of, a, you know, in a closed-in fishbowl. It's quite the experience. <laughs> We're looking in at us anytime. And we see all sorts of fascinating folks. Yes, I watch it every, well, every time I get a chance to. From regular folks to prominent ones, like former President Harry S. Truman stopping by on a morning stroll. And thus, this unusual picture. To President Clinton taking questions from the crowd. Ah, President, now, where's Matt Lauer now, huh? Where's Matt Lauer now? <laughs> we can show fucking President Clinton, no problem. <laughs> Just so dumb. Will we be able to have our 30th high school reunion being held at the White House? <laughs> to our presidential town halls and our celebration of International Day of the Girl. This is Obama, good Today's show's past echoes its present. From the legendary Duke Ellington jamming in the 50s to our first performance outside the plaza, Earth, Wind & Fire in the 90s, beginning a new trend in morning television, uh, summer concerts. A new trend in morning television that I suspect most people wish would die a horrible public death. I suspect. Just my opinion. All right. Let's go to your stuff. Thanks for contributing. I will refresh, Steph. I will refresh. We're in the homeward stretch now. All right, Steph and Sears. Possibly for the last time. <laughs> I'll do more free-for-alls, but they just won't be on a, on a Thursday. Steph and Sears sends through one more Steel Panther clip. For God, I'm, man, I'm not watching 10 minutes of this shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not watching 10 minutes. I'll give you a couple of minutes to tell me, like, if there is a specific part. Like, I'll give you two. I'll give you two minutes of ten. But we are not watching. I'm not subjecting my audience to ten minutes of Steel Panther. No, on, in no way, shape, or form. That is absolutely not on the table, my friend. <laughs> we are not watching ten minutes of these fucking dropkicks. <laughs> I indulge you. I, I humor you with your Steel Panther, you know, fascination from week to week but today is we are not doing 10 minutes of steel panther absolutely no way no how tell you what i'll just play the first minute or two god i fucking i hate them even more when they're doing music I didn't like it when they were trying to be funny and weird and kooky when they were doing their little science show. I hate the music even more. I didn't even think that was fucking possible. It's still 1987 in the world of Steel Panther. I like that. I respect their um, desire and willingness to stick to the 80s like shit to a blanket. But <laughs> the music itself, nothing, nothing good musically came out of the 1980s. 
but I'm glad because of that that they're staying in the 1980s and not infecting us now. Do you really, 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 really love me? Do you really, 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 really? How do they do it? There we go. Just going to get ready for this interview and do it right. Uh, we are so happy to be joined by these guys. Fiona has interviewed them before. I never had, but she just said basically It's an experience. It's an experience. The Steel Panther experience. People had a last... Oh, man, she wants it bad. Look at... Did you see that? Look at the guy sitting next to her. <laughs> Don't try to hide. Don't try to hide the fact that your vagina is percolating like an expensive coffee machine right now, darling. She's sitting next. She's like, it's an experience. Look at look at that. <laughs> she is percolating in the nether regions, my friends. You know, I've never been to a Steel Panther concert before. Have you? Oh, it's an experience. Flicks the hair. And there's... He's obviously, this guy, this aged rock star, is obviously well... Look at the way, look the rest of the way, the, the the three of them there are sitting, and look at the way he's sitting. Legs open, his arm towards her, he's inching ever closer towards her, and she's sitting there bright red. <laughs> he's, the rest of them are staring at the guy, he's just staring at her. <laughs> Fucking hell. Can you can you can you control yourself for one interview, sir? And she's like, oh my. <laughs> it's an experience. He probably shagged her in the green room before they went on. I, that, I suspect that's what's happened. And tonight they're playing in Vancouver again. Michael, Satchel, Lexi, and Sticks oh, joining us, guys. How are you? Michael, how was last night? Uh, last night was amazing. I we just rocked so hard. There was a mosh pit going on during our hit song community. There was property, a mosh pit, bro. Pretty surreal, man. Well, it's it's awesome. fucking it's awesome, a hit bro. Here in Canada, but it was a it was hit. a hit at my mom's house. It was a hit. It was a <laughs> hit. Vancouver loves you guys. We love it when you come here. How do you guys like Vancouver? Vancouver has great taste in heavy metal bands. It's it rocks. It's amazing. You, are, you are not a heavy metal band. <laughs> this is not heavy metal. This is schlock rock. So we've been bringing back heavy metal for a long time. No, you haven't. The first time we came to Vancouver, everybody totally enjoyed Steel Panther. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the Steel new album out in October. It's called Balls Out. It's Pretty very balls out. It is. It uh, is. Is that a philosophy <laughs> as well as an album? It's a way of life, buddy. I mean, it really is. Balls it, Out is a way of life. life all what the fuck is with this guy third down? He's got the mirror. He's just been doing a kissy face constantly for the first 90 seconds of this interview. What is that? And not one. Yeah. Plus, it, you know, after the show, it really does feel good to take your spandex off, you know, and just... <laughs> and, and go bald. Yes. Like yeah. it. You know, get a little it's literal, and, and it is a way of life. Lexi, are you all right over there? I'm fine, but it's like, I don't like to... When I talk, then I can't do this. <laughs> that makes it tough, right? Lexi, I you really are good looking. I know. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm sure it's obvious to you and your bandmates and anyone that sees you, but it's something to be this close to you and, and understand it on a on a very. It's handy to have him on tour with us. Like, obviously, this is their gimmick. You know, this is their thing. It's like they're the Spinal Tap of the 1980s. You know what I mean? As opposed to the Spinal Tap in the 1980s. <laughs> but that's their gimmick. That's their that's their shtick. Pretending to be an '80s heavy metal band. Good luck to them. It's 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 the Wiggles for adults. That's what it is. It's the Wiggles for fully grown humans. 
See, the Wiggles are four guys who pretend to, you know, who sing songs to entertain little children. And they dress up in the color-coded outfits and they sing about Dorothy the Dinosaur and Captain Feathersword. Hey, kids. Hi. Do you want to sing a song? Yeah. Okay. Dorothy the Dinosaur. Hey, everybody. Dorothy. So this is just the adult version of the Wiggles. Hey, everybody, you want to rock and roll? You want to get some pussy? Woo! All right, we're bringing heavy metal back. Hey, Vancouver, you love to rock. Same thing. Same thing. Wiggles for adults. Next of them. Next of them. Next of them leader Keith Ranieri found guilty on all counts in sex cult trial. Next of them founder Keith Ranieri has been found guilty on all counts for running the upstate sex cult in which women were branded like cattle and forced to have sex with him. Maybe maybe it was just a vegan activist group. Have we considered that? Jurors in Brooklyn Federal Court reached the verdict Wednesday after less than five hours of deliberations, convicting him of racketeering, a charge that could put him away for life and other counts. Ranieri mumbled under his breath as the four-person read aloud the guilty verdicts on all seven counts against him, but otherwise showed no emotion because he has no soul. He's fucked his emotion away. (laughs) I mean, if you spend two or three decades having sex with slaves, then you're pretty much, you're not going to be affected by anything emotionally after that point, I would suspect. It's going to be pretty hard to get you to cry at a rom-com, if you know what I mean. He did not shake his attorney's hands before being handcuffed and led out of the courtroom. Maybe they didn't want to shake his hands like, ew, I don't know where that's been. I don't know where that finger has been. I'm not touching that. Meanwhile, Catherine Oxenberg, the dynasty star whose daughter India Oxenberg was one of Ranieri's sex slaves, sobbed throughout the entire proceeding from the back row of the courtroom. The seven-week trial included testimony from some of Ranieri's sex slaves who recalled in dramatic detail the self-styled guru's twisted teachings. Within Nexivum, Ranieri ran a secret society called DOS. Ah, so he was a programmer back in the day. Good job. In which sex slaves were tasked with recruiting slaves of their own. It's like a mafia. The women were starved, branded, and with Ranieri's initials, Branded with Ranieri's initials and forced to sleep with him or perform other sex acts, according to testimony. Starved? I don't want I don't want no bag of bones. I don't want a bag of bones rolling up in here. You know, I don't like the ribs sticking out look is not attractive to me. I like a little bit of curve, you know what I mean? Ranieri was also Ranieri was also accused of having sex with a 15-year-old girl named Camilla prior to forming DOS, which stood for Dominant Over Submissive. He was also convicted of six other counts, racketeering, conspiracy, sex trafficking, sex trafficking, conspiracy, attempted sex trafficking, forced labor conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. Other members of Nexivum were charged alongside Ranieri and all have pled guilty. They include Nexivum president Nancy Salzman, her daughter Lauren Salzman, Smallville actress Alison Mack, and Seagram liquor heiress Claire Bronfham, who bankrolled the group for years. And I suspect there's more to come out about that because people have been uh, postulating on the various ties that these people have to various people in government positions, perhaps. Just a few interesting names connected, according to a witness. Another one from Kim Jong-un. 
they look so they look so bright and bubbly. They look so bright and happy in these pictures. Uh, Stormy Daniels, yeah, because somebody somebody um, noticed a while ago that Stormy Daniels had a tattoo on her pelvis of the Nexavum symbol or something, and or no, she had a brand and she tattooed over it. Is that the way it worked? Why is this not more reported on? Well, because it involves famous people. <laughs> Cleo asks, why isn't anybody reporting on this? Because it involves famous people. Where Stormy Daniels, James Alephantis, James Alephantis, is that the uh, Comet Pizza guy? Eric Schneiderman and Anthony Weiner, they're at a Nexavum recruitment party mixer in Connecticut. Uh, the subject answered yes. Were you aware that snuff videos were broadcast that Nexavum recruitment party mixer uh, subject answered yes. So snuff video is it's porn where they actually literally kill the person. Were you informed at a Nexavum recruitment party mixer in Connecticut in 2007 that the real Nexavum parties were held upon occasions at the private island of Richard Branson? The subject answered yes. You, you want to know why they're not reporting on it? <laughs> there you go. There you go. So if that's real, I mean, I've got no way to know if that's real or not, but Interesting stuff. We'll see what happens. Vicky T sent this one through. Texas man. Oh, it's not a Florida man. Disappointing. Fajita heist. Texas man sentenced to 50 years. Oh, go away. <sighs> Fuck you, NBC. I know ad block is like a boomer thing, but I don't care. I don't I don't care. Because fuck these people. Fajita Heist, Texas man sentenced to 50 years for stealing $1.2 million worth of food. How many fajitas is that? How many fajitas is that? Kimmy says it's the result of a polygraph for what that's worth. Yeah, but I don't know if that's, if that's real. Like if those questions and answers are real or not. You know, somebody could have just typed that up. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying I don't know. So someone can verify it or not, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's the internet, man. Fajita Heist, Texas man sentenced to 50 years for stealing $1.2 million worth of food. Gil Gilberto Escamilla had stolen more than $1.2 million worth of fajitas over the course of nine years. Can you imagine getting 50 years in jail for stealing fajitas? Like, if you were given the option at the start of your criminal career to say, look, we're going to give you 50 years in jail, pick a crime. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> what could you do for 50, for 50 years? If you're going to do 50 years in the clink, pick your crime. I would go down the lines of something like, I don't know, uh, super bank heist, bang supermodels in the Bahamas, uh, become cocaine drug lord. Get maybe like 10 years at the top, 10 years at the top, just fucking living to the wind, driving Ferraris and all of that shit and everything it entails, going to all the, you know, the fancy banquets and all of that stuff, banging supermodels and then give me 50 years. I'm not going to spend 50 years in jail for stealing fajitas. Like that's, that's below the bottom of the rung when it comes to criminal enterprises. Am I wrong? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. That's that's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
A Texas man who pled guilty to stealing more than $1.2 million in fajitas while acting as a public servant has been sentenced to 50 years in prison. He's 53 years old. He's going to die in prison because he stole fajitas. Gilberto Escamilla, 53, was employed at the Darrell B. Hester Juvenile Detention Center in San Benito, Texas, until August 2017, when it was discovered that he had been placing orders for fajitas using county funds and then selling them for his own profit since December 2008. When sentenced on Friday, Escamilla was also served with the maximum fine of $10,000 on top of the $1.2 million he was ordered to pay back for the cost of the fajitas. According to the Brownsville Herald, uh, Escamilla's scheme unraveled late August after a delivery driver with Labatt Food Service phoned the detention centre to give the kitchen employees a heads up that an 800-pound delivery of fajitas had arrived. Employees immediately thought the delivery to be suspicious as the miners at the detention centre are not served fajitas. <laughs> okay, I've changed my mind. Fuck him. He goes to jail for stupidity. If you are going to steal food from a government operation, sir, might I suggest you at least pick a type of food that is served in the fucking building that you work? <laughs> I'd, I'd give him 50 years for stupidity. <laughs> he, was, he was ordering fajitas at a place that doesn't sell fajitas. They don't serve fajitas. Why are we getting fajitas in? Nobody, we don't We don't serve fajitas. Then all of a sudden they realise that they've been taking deliveries of fajitas for the last 10 fucking years and nobody has had one. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Give the fucker 50 years for that. Yep. Stolen fajitas that weren't being that weren't being served in the fucking in the building. <laughs> oh man, brilliant, brilliant! <laughs> Clearly clever in the chat on YouTube's like I need a signature for ten tons of chicken round the back. <laughs> Eight hundred pounds of fajitas. Why the hell are we getting fajitas? And then this this Gilberto guy runs around. He's like, it's okay. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And he backs his truck up. <laughs> Starts loading pallets in the back of his truck. The staff are like, hmm, there's something suspicious about this. I, don't, I can't quite put my finger on it. I think something may be awry. Another one from Kim Jong-un. With this letter, I am formally inviting uh, AOC to Poland. My name is Dominik Trzinski. And I'm a member of parliament in Poland, Poland, where I serve as the chairman of the subcommittee on the transatlantic trade and investment partnership. I'm also a great fan and friend of the United States of America. I write to you out of distress in having learned of your recent statements regarding concentration camps. As you should be aware, the National Socialist German Workers' Party who led Germany were responsible for the darkest period in my country's and our whole continent's history by devising a chain of concentration camps in order to exterminate those who they believed were subhuman or a threat to their imperialistic machinations. This included both Jewish Poles and non-Jewish Poles, and which resulted in the loss of 6 million of our citizens. I don't know. Now, 
I don't know anything about this guy, Dominic Trajinsky, but I would suspect that it might be a bone of contention to say that the Nazi invasion and occupation was the darkest period in Poland's history when compared with the six fucking decades of communist control and occupation of Poland that followed it. You see, the Nazis were pretty bad, but at least they were only in Poland for about five years. After that, they had to deal with the fucking Russians who starved them to death for the next 60. So I'm, I'm quietly confident that, uh, you know, Polish people would probably regard the communist occupation of their country as the darkest period in Polish history compared with the five-year occupation of the Nazi party. Doesn't mean one is better than the other. Doesn't mean doesn't mean one is a good guy. If you're a simpleton out there, just just a bit of reality for you. This is why when someone cheapens the history or uses it for political point scoring, we become agitated and upset. I understand that there are heightened tensions in your politics right now, but I would urge severe caution in attempting to leverage phrases such as concentration camp for political ends. It will lead nowhere good. You know what? I'm I'm going to say I don't like this because um I don't like I don't I'm I'm against political correctness. So if if AOC wants to use a term that people consider incendiary and inflammatory like concentration camp, then I'm not going to approve somebody from Poland writing her a letter saying we strongly urge that you don't use that language. I mean if I was AOC at this point, I would give them a big middle finger even though I'm not a fan of AOC. I would give them a big middle finger and say, fuck you, I'll use whatever word I want. Thank you. Thanks for your correspondence, bro. Now go back to Poland, right? I mean, if we're against political correctness, then how can we be jumping up and down and saying how offensive it is that she used this particular word? But maybe I'm the arsehole here, right? This is the point of the show when I get accused by conservatives of not being conservative enough. How could you say that? Don't you understand how offensive this is? This is horrible. How can you not be outraged? This is the part of the show where that happens. While I'm making fun of lefties and PC culture and SJWs, it's like, ah, boogie. <laughs> but as soon as I say, well, why should I get upset that AOC used a particular term? All of a sudden it's like, oh, how could you? That's not right. <laughs> it's so offensive. She needs to be censured. And I'm like, yeah, I still don't care. She just said a word. But maybe I'm the arsehole. I told you, I'm burning it all down. <laughs> I'm burning it down on a Thursday night. The more outrageous, the better, right? Well, here you go. Woman fights the patriarchy by letting entire music festival take bong hits out of her butthole. Now, this is the story I've been waiting my whole life for. <laughs> Snatch Adams. <laughs> Instead of Patch Adams, you see? You see how creative these people are? Very funny people. Tremendous people. Snatch Adams, an extreme burlesque performer and hater of the patriarchy, has become a viral sensation after revealing that she recently invited all the attendees of a music festival to take turns smoking marijuana out of her anus. They were like, you got to try this shit. Have you, have you tasted this shit, man? This is good shit right here. See what I did there? See what I did there? So talented. Here's this concentration camps border video again. I don't care. In an Instagram post on Sunday, Adam said, what does that have to do? I want to see the bong smoke coming out of her anus, please. <laughs> That's more important to me than what AOC says about concentration camps, to be fair. 
in an yeah, I know the difference between detention camps and internment camps and concentration camps. Did you know that the first concentration camps were actually invented by the British during the Boer Wars to imprison the Dutch and starve them to death and work them to death? The Nazis, when they took their blueprint for concentration camps, actually took it from the British Empire. You'll be pleased to know. Did you know that? Just putting it out there. In an Instagram post on Sunday, Adam said she made the offer of the unnamed festival in an attempt to one-up her at the art project at the same event last year. The previous stunt involved laying in a coffin for two and a half hours while mealworms crawled over her skin. (laughs) Very cultured young lady. Shortly after arriving at this year's festival, Adam said that a friend asked how she felt about people smoking weed out of her butthole. I felt great about that. Tell us more, Adam said. She replied in a post. Do we have we we have to have video footage? We must have video footage of this somewhere. <laughs> There's the lovely She's not gonna regret this at all. Her father is very proud of her. I'm a burlesque performer. Yes, of course you are, dear. Of course you are. I'm a famous singer and dancer. Yes. Yes. Yes, we're very proud of you. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, dear. My butt bong thing was shared in a community of ravers, and the number one comment is wondering what my parents will think about it. Well, I'm having a ton of for, uh, a ton of fun talking to all the surprisingly conservative and angry people on that post I wrote. Uh, this headline, to sum up my experience, rave community removes collective pacifier from mouth long enough to scold grown woman who makes decisions without regards for her parents wishes oh she's such a warrior she's such a rebel (laughs) bong hits out of the anus of a young lady well done well done fight the patriarchy now get those men to line up behind my bare ass and do drugs because I'm a feminist. Yeah, they do know they do know how to throw a party, to be fair. I mean, if it's an option between this and croquet down at the country club, well, I don't think I have to tell you where I'm going to be headed. Just quietly. Just put that out there. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end. It's been a marathon deep into the fourth hour. Thank you so much for spending your Thursday night with me. As I expressed in uh, yesterday's show... From now on, we're going to be Monday through Wednesday. So thank you for letting us burn it all down on a Thursday night, each and every one of you. Thank you for sharing the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you so much for your company. Thank you for sharing the articles and the videos that you sent through. And thanks so much for enjoying this podcast and making it a pleasure to do every single day when I do it. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Where's the rainbow snatch? Are you saying there's a rainbow snatch video? Where is it? I don't see it. Oh, I missed this one too. Hang on. Hang on. Let's go back. I missed this one too. Uh, The wig put this up. Apparently Chris Mack tweeted this out. I don't know. I tried to look for the real tweet and I couldn't find it. But I jumped on Right Wing Watch and they said that Chris Mack tweeted this out and then later deleted it. Oh, dear. So the wig asks, this is how appalling journalism influences stupid people in America to believe anything. That's quite the premise. 
Uh, no, this is not Live Aid. This is a Trump rally in downtown Philly yesterday. Why isn't the media showing this? But it is Live Aid. It says Live Aid up on the on the stage. <laughs> so, I think Chris tweeted out that he was doing it to trigger the libs or something. I don't know. I haven't spoken to Chris. I hope to speak to Chris in the next couple of days. But I would say that if if he if he did tweet this out, then it's very funny if he was taken. And look, he wouldn't be the first person on earth to be misled by a meme. It happens quite a lot. It happens a lot. Actually, the most famous one being the 4chan OK meme, where they actually came out and said, we're going to turn the OK symbol into a symbol of white supremacy and get all of these outlets to say that it's white supremacy. And now all of these outlets, all of the liberal outlets, literally say that it's white supremacy and even acknowledge at the same time that it was a meme started on 4chan to get them to say that it's a symbol of white supremacy, but it's still a symbol of white supremacy, you know. So if you want to talk about how appalling journalism influences stupid people in America to believe anything, that would be the go-to one, the OK symbol started by 4chan. But if Chris Mack did tweet this out, then it's very funny. And if he got it wrong, then it's even funnier. <laughs> so, And if he did get it wrong, just take the L, Chriso. Take the take the L, preacher man. <laughs> take the L. It happens. It happens to the best of them. So I'm looking for the I'm looking for the the video. Did you send it to this thing or not? I don't see a video here, Kimbo. Is there a video? Okay. Doesn't look like there's a video here. So that's a bit of a downer to end on. So if there is a video, you know what? I'll play it on Monday. I'll play the Rainbow Snatch Bong Smoking video on Monday. I did refresh a couple of times. It's not coming up. So that's all right. I'll get the link. I'll play it on Monday. We'll be able, we'll be able to relive the man magic that is, uh, what was her name? Snatch Adams. <laughs> Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Enjoy your weekend, guys. Don't forget, I'll be back on Sunday night with Trust and Verify TAV show and then Monday through Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 11 p.m. for the Daily Boogie if you want to join us then. Don't forget to follow our friends, the very memeable Chris Mack at ChrisMC44 tomorrow night for Pirate Radio with James R. James R. at Real Person PLTCS for the best 15-minute data downloads on the interwebs. Also the host of Ladies of Liberty on a Saturday night at 11 p.m. And like I said, I'll be back Sunday night with James on Trust and Verify and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the Daily Boogie at 11pm. Hope you can join us. If not, keep up with the podcast on iTunes and Podbean, Player FM. We will be back. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to do some bong hits out of somebody's ass. 
just a just a regular Thursday for me. Get branded and do bong hits out of a lovely young lady's arsehole. Can't wait. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye bye.